You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. Everybody, welcome to the GGTMC. You might have heard a little laughter right there at the beginning. That was Lars William and us joking around, a little rocking and rolling. Yeah, start Sammy Thumb again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here we go. Episode 404, 405. There we go. Five. So professional. Yeah, so there's a little bit of a, to say the least, there was a little bit of a, I don't know, leeway between these shows a little bit of a gap and uh just to be forthright we've been very busy obviously the summer's ended for the kids on uh, both ends mine a couple a few weeks back wills last week uh yeah you know, and when i say summer has ended i mean they're just back in school and uh so you know we took a little extra time there and is what it is i'm sure we'll probably be on a well, I'm not going to make that statement. I'm not going to commit to a semi-regular schedule with this show right now. Uh, day. I think one day, you know, we'll go back and, you know, when I'm older and I want to reminisce, I'll go back and listen to this whole show as an archive and think to myself, oh, yeah, I remember that time. I remember that time we were barely uh, scrubbing by and getting getting through these things and stuff like that. So it'll be interesting to see our lives and or hear our lives in audio form. That's true. Uh, it'd be like when you, I don't know if you, well, I guess I did this when I was a kid and, uh, I know this is kind of a weird beginning to the show, but, um, when I was a kid, I used to, me and my brother used to record like, we had like a little tape recorder and we used to record like fake audio shows, which, you know, kind of likes the precursor to this stuff. Although this is not fake. Um, and, uh, I go back and I hear those every now and then I hear my kid's voice, you know, when I was young, I hear my voice before it changed and i hear my brothers and but some of the sense of humor is still there not the the dirty darkness that would uh, plague me as i got older but some of my sense of humor is still there i've noticed and uh it's interesting to go back and listen to that so it's gonna be interesting to go back and listen to this one day yeah because we really have archived and sort of time stamped our lives and we should say that we'll get into what we're reviewing on this episode in a moment but since we last recorded we've gone past what was our nine-year anniversary 
actually. <laughs> yes. Yes. So happy your anniversary, baby. Yeah, happy anniversary. Nine man. years, dude. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. My man. wife asked me the other day, she's like, How much longer do you think you'll do that? I was like, I don't know. Nine years. I've already done it nine years. I probably might, might as well do it ninety more. Mm-hmm. It's true. Because I don't really don't even really think about it anymore. It's just kind of a natural part of my life. So Yeah, it's very true. I mean, we're not as um we're not as dialed in day to day in the group as we were once were, and I was thinking about horror hunt yesterday because it was Aaron Aaron's birthday, and just thinking about you know all that stuff and how great it would be to try to get back to that. It's difficult right now, um, but you know, I mean, we'll work towards that. Everything in time. Yep, everything in time. All right, so this week we are covering, uh, and this is obviously some things that have happened in the past, but recently. We lost some pretty big heavyweights in the movie world. We lost uh, George Romero. We lost John Hurd. We lost Martin Landau. We've since lost maybe a few others, but um, we had planned the show obviously closer to the untimely passing of these uh, gentlemen. So anyway, either way, we'd already watched the films. They're good films to talk about. They're good films to push on people. Um, Or are they? We'll find out. I guess I shouldn't just say, well, they're good, they're good, they're good. But either way... We're going to discuss those today. We're not going to get into what we've been watching because it's been a while since we recorded. Uh, Will's kind of in the throes of the beginnings of TIFF uh, for this year. Uh, Todd, by the way, is not here. For those of you who are hardcore Totter fans, the Prince of uh, the Prince of Pennsylvania, the uh, what else do we call him there? I can't remember. We got all kinds of nicknames for Totter. Um, we sure do. He's uh, he's busy, so he could not make it this week, uh, unfortunately. Um, Todd. But- Go ahead. <laughs> I hate to cut you off. Todd didn't want us to tell you all, but he's been trying to defend his um, his pole dancing um, no. crown, right? I mean, <laughs> you may think it's just for women. It's not. It's a science. It's an art. It's a passion. Yes. <laughs> so he'll be back. I mean, you know, those glutes and thighs don't match those eyes, uh, you know, just for nothing. I mean, it takes work. It takes dedication. So he'll be back. Right. The hips don't lie. <laughs> that, that one nickname, the Lieutenant Todd Taffy's coming back at the <laughs> Yeah. It's yeah. quite the parlor trick, man. <laughs> that one button uh, snagged on that uh, police uniform. <laughs> that one button buttoned up at the bottom there, baby. Yeah. Uh, the mutton up. <laughs> anyway, uh, but he will be back uh, as soon as he can. Obviously, um, he has a situation where his job can change every now and then, so... And you know, and just to be forthright again, not to make excuses, obviously, but you know, uh, our real lives are what garner the schedule of this show. So I often look back on uh, my youth and think about how easy it was to sleep in till eleven o'clock and watch movies till four o'clock in the afternoon, and then go do stuff and everything else. Because now I'm a father and a man who has to work a lot, and you know, have to get up early and make sure everybody's had breakfast, make sure they have this, make sure. You know, diapers changed, make sure all this good stuff. Whereas in the past, I didn't have to do all that. Well, now I often think about how easy it was to podcast in the beginning. <laughs> oh, man. Where it was like, hey, I'll talk to you tomorrow at six, man. Because I think we used to start at six uh, before your first son was born. I think we started, used to start at six. I don't think we started at five then. I think, uh, yeah, I don't think it was five. And I also think, didn't we used to do like afternoons, like, um, like one o'clock in the afternoon or some sort of we weird did. time because I remember my wife being on mat leave and it being afternoons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did uh, we did some of that when we had to adjust and we we did a few other things over the years. So, 
But I often laugh about that, thinking about, oh, 6 o'clock, a couple hours, you know, doing that, no big deal. And I could go back to sleep until the middle evening if I wanted to. But anyway, that's all in the past. Uh, Just something to think about on those days when I'm really tired. All right. So this week we are covering, to get into the show proper, for those of you who've been here for a long time, for those of you listening the first time, yeah, you just found out a little bit about us, go back and listen to the archives. First show, neither one of us had children. <laughs> uh, and, and, and listen to it's us true. grow. Yeah, listen to us grow through the uh, through the years. Come grow. We are growers. Yeah, come grow. <laughs> yeah, come grow with the GGTMC. Uh, <laughs> it's soon to be legal in Ontario, I'm hearing. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it is, man. That's crazy. Um, so this week we are going to talk about uh, George Romero's Martin from 1978. We're going to discuss Ivan Passer's uh, Cutter's Way from 1981. And Tim Burton's Ed Wood from uh, 1994. So we're going to do a three-film show here. Um, and we're going to get into it pretty quickly here. So uh, let me make sure everything is kosher on the recording side. And then we'll just go ahead and hit these things. Uh, oh, man, excuse me. Uh, excuse me. I had, <laughs> had a little bit of a belch there, but I almost said bless me. You know, maybe, maybe. <laughs> bless me. Excuse me. Bless me. Yeah. Um. We're going to get into these. Uh, yeah, okay, we're good to go. All right, so our first film of the day, to get right into it, is George Romero's Martin. Now, there's some show, there's some films that we've often talked about on this show that people wonder why we haven't covered yet. And one of the reasons why when we started the show, we really uh, started with a, a big group of folks. You guys know all the folks we started with, Cinema Diabolic, Outside the Cinema, uh, all these guys. That are, some of these guys are still doing it. Uh, most of them are still doing it, really. Uh, some of them are not. Some shows have come and gone, but a lot of these shows, <clears throat> well, excuse me, a lot of these shows uh, covered a lot of the kind of heavy hitters, uh, big films, big cult films, things like that. And uh, so, you know, we kind of went another way. And, uh, you know, there's obviously nowadays there's a podcast out there for everything. Uh, there, there, were, there was nine years ago in a lot of ways, too, but even more so now. Now it seems to be like 20 podcasts for everything out there. That's what it seems like anyway. Um, Agreed. So we, we ignored a lot of stuff, um, a lot of George Romero stuff in particular, a lot of uh, um, other things. Cutter's Way, we'll talk about that in a little bit. That seems to be one we would have probably kind of gotten into because it's kind of in our wheelhouse. But uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit too uh, as to why we kind of, well, I don't really have a good reason as to why we put it off. But anyway, either way, we're going to talk about it now and get it un- under our belts. But Martin is always one that I always kind of wanted to talk about, but I was kind of always holding off on. Because everybody or every show I had listened to before I became a podcaster kind of talked about it. And so I didn't want to, because no matter what, when you listen to other podcasts or other reviews of things, when you read things, that kind of informs you a little bit. So you're going to kind of repeat some of those things. So I kind of like to keep that distance a little bit. And I know you feel the same way. We kind of try to keep the distance a little bit. At this point, I don't know what Will and I could add to, you know, some some of the big, big uh, podcast covered films in the horror genre. Um, will we do them? Uh, I don't know. We might do them one day, um, 20 years from now or five months from now. You never know, but I can say I can hear myself on your headphones. Isn't that weird? I don't know why I can hear that. You can hear what? <laughs> I can hear myself on your headphones. Oh, that's weird. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, I like you recording my lap, but maybe <laughs> if it's going to pose technical difficulties. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so we... I hope that doesn't pick up the whole way because usually I don't hear. That. I don't hear it. I don't hear an echo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, what I actually hear is like your headphones uh, picking up at the mic. 
Very strange. Anyway, nah, I think it's gone now. Nah, wait, away, you, have the, you know, after nine years, we still have these issues. You know, it's just, it is what it is, right? Yeah, man. So anyway, like I said, that don't always know if there's things we can add. I'm sure there is because we do have our own sense of humor. We do have our own way of doing things that we've kind of coined over the last nine years and some for good, some for bad things we've done, ways we've done things. So I think it is fun to kind of go back and cover the heavy hitters now and then uh, just to kind of hear what our perspective is. And of course, nine years ago when we started the show, not to be all, you know, a lovey-dovey and stuff uh, about the last nine years, but, you know, we were different folks. So, you know, we, we yeah. see some of the films we we liked quite a bit nine years ago, we might not like so much now. You go back and listen, listen to some of the stuff we used to really champion. Oh, the other day somebody asked me if I'd ever seen the uh, the original Let the Right One In. And I was like, you know what? I haven't seen that thing for nine years. <laughs> <clears throat> it's crazy. I, I think about that film often. And I, I want to say, I want to say, like my score was around an eight point two five. Yeah. I yeah. wonder if it would be the same or not. I, you know, I was thinking about uh, funny, funnily enough, just with Tiff, my Tiff adventure for the year, um, getting started last night. I think about how I always forget that I got to pay a zillion dollars for parking every day, but um, <laughs> which I never factor into that budget. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I think I thought I, I and I find myself thinking about this movie a lot. You and I have spoken about this. And I almost want it to be like one of the first films we actually re-review, and it's that one ape, or upon when. Ah, oh, yes, I yes, watched yes. it, and now I think, man, maybe I'd like that film a lot more now because for some reason, it's that. Um, not to sort of digress or anything, but I don't know what we were expecting or, or what happened, but it just didn't pan out in the moment for us. I think I want to say because maybe expectation or something, and we imposed our expectations on the film, which, you know, maybe isn't, well, certainly I don't think it's fair. No, um, but it's one of those films. that yeah, I think about like you were just mentioning, but the right one. And I just think it's been almost, well, it's been eight years, I guess. And, uh, yeah, I'd be curious how that holds up on a revisit. Yeah. Yeah. Some of those TIFF films, uh, I think about those often, uh, how we would feel about those things now. Air Doll, uh, mm-hmm. Deliver Us From Evil. Uh, was that what it was called? Deliver Us From Evil? Yeah, which was the, the, um, the I want to say, the Danish riff on Straw Dogs, ironically, right? Yeah. And then uh, Ape is one. Uh, yeah. I think we had some mixed reactions to. Solomon Kane, which I bought on Blu-ray for like five <laughs> bucks not too long ago, because I, I was like, you know, I it's certainly worth five bucks to own Solomon Kane, you know? Sure. So... I haven't rewatched it, but I'm I'm curious for a rewatch on that. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's not at the top of my list for rewatches. I recently watched Vish, <laughs> rewatched Vish has to watch it. Yeah, yeah, Vish has to watch it first. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh man, a little uh, coffee went down the wrong hole there. Uh, better the better, better the <laughs> at the top than at the bottom, there, Bay. Yeah, Ooh, I that, that coffee enema. Anyway, yeah. let's get into what we're covering proper here. To kind of, we've just been reminiscing all morning. All right. Martin, 1978, uh, directed by one George A. Romero. Rest in peace. One of the uh, heavy hitters of the 70s horror movement, late 60s. Um, arguably um, the father of the, the walking dead picture, the zombie picture. Not the zombie picture, I would say so much, because that's those existed um, before George Romero. But certainly the guy that kicked it into what it has become in our culture uh nobody Absolutely. can argue yeah nobody can argue that uh, 
how dare anybody argue that <laughs> yes um but this is a vampire film for him and uh an interesting movie i, I, I tell you I, I had a profound experience with this on uh, rewatch and this is a good example of seeing this when you're in your teens or early pre-adolescent years and then seeing it in your 40s uh this is a good example of a film that changes over time uh, basic plot, a young man who believes himself to be a vampire goes to live with his elderly and hostile cousin, <laughs> that's that's putting it lightly, in yeah. a small Pennsylvania town where he tries to redeem his blood-craving urges. Uh, this uh, was, a good, like I said, an interesting experience. Uh, I don't know how many times you had seen this before. I don't know if you want to lead on this. You want me to lead on this? I'll, I'll leave it up to you. Uh, I don't mind leading. That's cool. Okay. Rock and roll, man. Let's, uh, let's do this. Well, I'll tell you something. Funnily enough, did we mention Toby Hooper in the beginning? We did not mention Toby Hooper. Of course, you know, since since all this stuff has went down, another one of the that generation of filmmakers, uh, Toby Hooper, who arguably made one of the most influential horror films of all time, um, he's not he's no longer with us. And even though I've had my difficulties with Toby over the years, as far as a filmmaker goes, I, I'll never deny that he made one of the most important films of. Uh, of his generation of, of, maybe of his genre of film period. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Rest in peace, Toby Hooper as well. I mean, it just, it's been crazy, but I mean, I, you know, it's inevitable. It's, 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 it's a life cycle. And, you know, at some point we all kind of knew these guys, this, the seventies kind of rat pack of horror filmmakers. Um, and they were going to start dropping off. It's, uh, it's a shame, but it is, um, it's kind of the natural thing, right? Don't want to get too depressing here, but, John Carpenter's still out there. Uh, who else is still out there? Is there anybody else out there still? Well, Wes Craven's gone too, right? Oh, yeah, Wes Craven's gone. I don't really... Um, I mean, I, I should consider him part of that, but it's funny. I always kind of consider him more of an 80s guy, but I really, guess really yeah. he, he is a 70s guy when you think about it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I think his signature film came in the 80s, but... Essentially that yeah, Masters of Horror uh, kind of, you know, not to... Not to Dario. Kind of, yeah, Man, we better not lose Dario anytime yeah, soon. Yeah, Dario's up there, though. I mean, he's Jeez. up there. So these guys, uh, you know, Sergio Martino's up there. Dario's yeah. up there. Uh, Lindsay's a, he's still around, right? He's, he's up there. Of course, you know, that's kind of a different thing. But some of these... Diodato's still out there, I think. Yeah, yeah. These guys are getting older, obviously. And I'm sure, you know, over the next couple of years, um, God forbid, or however you want to say it, I mean, I know we'll probably lose more folks, but... Um, yeah, it's just you know, it's it's just part of the natural progression of life, right? I mean, some of the some of our heroes go and and time passes. Let's not get let's let's. let's <laughs> Man, we're falling down a hole. Here. Yeah, my apologies. I'm looking at a picture um, of Army Hammer, and I don't even know why I'm talking about all this stuff. But uh, <laughs> I don't even know why I'm looking at a picture of Army Hammer. <laughs> at least he's got clothes on. At least I can understand why I'm looking at the picture. <laughs> if it was a nude Army Hammer. I'd be like, what am I doing? Army Hammer's hammer. <laughs> yeah. It's our menace hammer. Anyway, yeah, let's get into it. Uh, okay. So you want to know something weird about this? This let's, is a, let's celebrate Romero. Let's uh, celebrate. I do want to say this even before we get to the film. It is Romero related. Um, I used to go to the Fan Expo every year. Um, yeah, which yeah. is uh, you know, one of the five biggest sort of events of its kind in North America. Um, got to meet a lot of my heroes there, you know, Argento, Romero, Hooper, Diodato, um, uh, Sid Haig, um, Adrian Barbeau, lots. Um, so yeah, Romero was a very, very, very sweet man. I do want to say that anyone that's been, I'm sure would agree. 
his penchant for vests was only matched by his penchant for kindness, I think. And never seeming tired or fatigued about, you know, questions about the zombie films, which God bless him. And he took up residence here uh, in the city uh, of Toronto uh, back, uh, you know, third of his life or whatever. So, um, but, you know, I want to say just to pull back the curtain and jump around here. For some reason, I, you know, I only seen Martin once before and I've only ever seen death three months before. And for some reason, man, I mix up those two films a lot. Oh, yeah? Yeah. All right. I don't know why it is. Maybe I'd seen them around the same time. I, I don't know what it was, but I seem to mix them up. I know they're about, you know, four years apart, 174, 178. Um, and I just think it's, you know, people kind of coming home and these almost like small kitchen sink horror films. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Well, Maybe I mean, it was, it, was a, it was a time of... Uh, it was really a horror renaissance, right? I mean, it was a time of, of magic. I mean, really, those films, those films of the set, those early Romero, Carpenter, Hooper films, all that stuff. I mean, that, those were all game changers. And really, maybe for my generation, certainly, and definitely probably for yours, too. Oh, yeah. Really, the gateway drug to loving movies uh, as much as we do, right? Yeah. Some of the first big video titles to rent, things like that. I mean... I, I didn't see uh, Texas Chainsaw in the theaters. I didn't have that opportunity. It was well. My dad and mom did. Yeah. I was yeah. born in 73, so I didn't see those things. Last House on the Left. I didn't see, uh, hell, I didn't even see Martin. Uh, I didn't like driving and stuff. I was five years old by then. But, hell, I didn't even know about Martin until I started really getting into movies, uh, probably around the age of 10, 11, 12 years old. And I didn't, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of reference books out there and a lot of film lovers like there is now i mean there's an abundance of us now but uh before you really had to do your research to find these things out right yeah you definitely did martin was one of those ones obviously much less celebrated title in his catalog i'm thrilled that this was the one we covered though um yeah because on a rewatch as well it it really rocketed up the romero charts for me um uh, you know this this film really feels like it fits in with that American was it the American Horror Story set that Arrow put out? Uh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, the American the, Horror Project. American Horror Project. I'm sorry, I'm amalgamating. Which is almost completely sold out and out of print now. Uh, wow. So good set. We should say it's worth your money. I mean, it's expensive, but <coughs> yeah, it's only to get more expensive, I guess now. Yeah, but uh, this kind of physique would fit with that, and and I think as as we've gotten older, talk about taste changing and what have you. I liked this film uh, when I first seen it, but now I I say I have really strong fondness for it. To pull back the beef curtains, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it, uh, it it really works for me, and I think because of that, as I'd said earlier, the kitchen sink horror film or the domestic aspect, the this looks at vampirism or perceived vampirism uh, in a much more practical way in terms of the problems it would pose um, in terms of isolation and what have you. Um, yep. And I think Romero makes great use of working class Pennsylvania. So small town, uh, or I don't know if I would say small town, but sort of neighborhood life. Yeah. Right. It's it feels very specific to that neighborhood. Now, um, the lead in this, um, John Amplis. John Amplis. Yeah. 
he reminds me a lot of like a, a Brad Dourif or a Billy Drago. Yeah, yeah, no, he's a really he's a good actor. He uh, hasn't done a whole lot of stuff. Uh, mostly known for I think working with Romero, and uh, uh, obviously there's he's in Dawn of the Dead. He plays a I think a, a Puerto like Rican. Biker too, yeah, you know, he's like a Puerto Rican or a, some type of Latino. Ooh, that's miscasting. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. If you go out there and do some, uh, you know, some Google image searches of him and Dawn of the Dead, it's <laughs> it's almost at this point the equivalent of blackface. <laughs> Jeez, I'm gonna do that now. Yeah, yeah, you need to do that because it's it's pretty bad. But uh, you know, at the time, obviously, it was again, it was a different oh, time. Oh, <laughs> I remember him. He was the doctor guy in that. Yeah. So it's 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 funny uh, to go back and look at that stuff, but uh, yeah, not really known very well. This is really kind of a as I've kind of went back and watched. This is really kind of a bit of a uh, showpiece for him because uh, he never really did a whole lot, and I actually think he's really good in this. There's almost a little, even though there's not the kind of sexy kind of coolness with the Amplis, because uh, he's definitely playing a, a character here. But there's almost a little. I get a little uh, looking into his eyes and stuff. I get a little Alain Delon, a little little of that. Okay. I but, could see that from sort of the yeah. bridge of his nose up. Yeah, yeah. Not, not again. Not none of the coolness factor that we relate with somebody like him, where the camera just loves him and all that kind of good stuff. But um, certainly some similarities there. And of course, he's playing this kind of young buck uh, who has issues in this film, and he nails it. Uh, in my opinion, he he really nails that kind of. I don't know, kind of broken spirit, lost puppy type thing. Oh, he does. He really nails it. This, uh, you know, again, not to to jump ahead too much, but when I think about great performances in horror films, this one's going to be front of mind for me now because I I feel that the care there's so much um, melancholy, and I think you know this young man sort of transitioning into or awkwardly transitioning. Um, into adult life like I, I mean the character's probably what about like 25 let's say like yeah does that sound about right yeah, um kind of early you know, 20s that kind of time when you're kind of lost as a youth i think yeah because i mean you're not a teenager anymore so people don't really have the sympathy for you but you're you're a man yeah but i mean you really don't truly kind of feel like a man at that i mean i didn't anyway i still yeah. felt like a, trying to like find a high your schooler. way yeah, yeah yeah trying to find your way right and you know you can look at this as, as metaphor for a lot of things too certainly but um it it just it works really really well, man. I can't get over that Puerto Rican <laughs> look he, that they got him going for, and uh, he was one of the bike. I don't know what he was, but I remember that doctor photo of him. I don't know what movie that was, but I'm yeah, digressing. Yeah, I now. mean, I think he was in quite a few films. Uh, well, mostly Romero films, and maybe a couple Savini films. I know he's friendly with uh, Mr. Savini as well. So that squad, um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, that squad, that squad. But um, let me jump into my notes here, kind of proper. The film's shot in tight, and I think it does a really good job. You know what this film reminds me of a little bit, too, in some ways? You know, mental illness, whatever you want to say. And again, you know, I guess some of this is open to interpretation, but um, mental illness is a spectrum, certainly. Um, so there's varying degrees of... of um, of uh, mental, not even necessarily illness, but mental, um, that's the word I'm looking for, like hang, not hang-ups, but. Um, well, issues, I mean. Issues, uh, mental issues, right? And, and that's, yeah. you know. No one person's the same, right? I mean. You, no one's person, yeah, that's right. No one person's the same. Um, just like the the human brain itself. I mean, I think everybody that suffers from some type of mental illness um, 
suffers from it differently and tackles it right. differently because we're all unique in that way. I thought you were going to say just like the beef curtains we're speaking about, no two are the uh, same. But they, well, no two are the same. This is correct. No two are the same. No set is the same either. We should say that. Uh, yeah, that's in, right. Um, in, in my experience, to be as tasteless as possible this morning, uh, no set of beef curtains is the same. <laughs> yeah, that's the tagline. But uh, but it's true. And, you know, man, um, the way people process things, it is very different. But I think that this film, in some ways, in some ways, Reminds me of um, Clean Shaven as well, because I feel very much a sense of fatigue with Martin in this. Yes. Yes, I do, and too. I feel like, you know, he's obviously the, the Martin character is an interesting character because this is a, he's actually he's a terrible person. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. he does an awful, terrible, dis disgustingly bad thing in the beginning. But it's an interesting film because I don't think these kind of movies are made nowadays where you almost still feel in some strange way as you go along in the movie, you almost f still feel some type of sympathy sympathy for the character. And that's a bizarre thing because, I mean, we open the film with him doing one of the worst things possible. Absolutely. Uh, to a woman that I was uh, like, wow, I'm really in love with this lady. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she was gorgeous uh, in her uh, 70s kind of way. And Martin's got a thing for the, he's got a thing for the cougars there, bay. Well, uh, that's a mommy thing, right? Maybe yeah, like yeah. the mommy complex. I mean, who knows? We could, you know, go spelunking. Yeah, oh yeah, we could definitely get deep into that. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> we're just remaining tasteless, even though we're trying not to be that way. Yeah, no, the no, uh, we, we could we could look at the the psychology behind that. I mean, yeah. because I think it's very clearly because this is a man that's adrift at sea emotionally and mentally, right? Right, right, and he and I just thought, I found that profoundly interesting this time around watching it and i'm sitting there thinking i'm feeling sorry for what is essentially and because i'm gonna say this this is not a spoiler uh in the opening of the film martin essentially stalks a, a woman that he becomes kind of obsessed with on a train he uh, eventually drugs her uh rapes her uh cuts her and drinks her blood um it's left up to the audience i think sometimes if he is uh quote unquote a vampire or not i think you know obviously it, it, I have my interpretation of what he is, uh, but I think Romero kind of leaves it just just gray enough where you could look and think maybe you're actually watching a truly supernatural film and uh, well, a supernatural thing in a normal film. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense, but I think you know. No, what it does. Yeah. I think it, I, I absolutely get what you're saying, and yeah. I agree with you. So he does this awful thing where he rapes and murders a woman. Uh, and it's a bit of a slow burn, so it's 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 awful. Um, I never felt really good watching it, you know, even though, you know, the male part of me is like, yeah, boobies and things like that. But uh, watching it this time, it was just really kind of sad and kind of pathetic. And, and uh, you know, as a teenager, like I said, you know, rape scene's a rape scene. You know, you get this kind of certain kind of visceral thrill from that. But mm -hmm. as an adult, uh, not just because of the rape, but the murder and all these things and, and the awfulness of all this, it kind of turned my stomach but I still ended up feeling sympathy for this character, uh, which was bizarre. Um, and really, I don't know how Romero pulls that off. Um, because like I said, essentially we're watching a, uh, we're essentially watching a serial killer, right? I mean, we're essentially watching a terrible person do his deeds. We're watching a, a Henry portrait of the serial killer. And I can tell you, I never felt sorry for Henry. Not once, man. Yeah, Henry was a real piece of shit. And so was his buddy, yeah. Otis. Otis, fucking gross. Yeah, Otis is really gross. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure we'll cover that at some point. But either way, 
Uh, we never, yeah, we never covered Henry, have we? I don't think we ever. We have. we never have. I actually haven't seen it since I was thirteen. Oh, nice. That'd and be- I saw it with the girl that took my virginity. Well, it didn't take my virginity, but <laughs> the girl that I was actually twelve. Sorry, my bad. What? A, and I think back, not to digress, but you mentioned Henry. I rented it and took it to her house and watched it with her mom. Yeah, that's see, that, can, that's a generational man. thing. See, that's a generational thing. That right there, I can remember renting. Uh, well, the first thing that comes to mind now that you say that, I can remember renting Eddie Murphy's Raw and going to a girl's house and watching it with her mom, <laughs> uh, and uh, being terribly uncomfortable with all the sex jokes and everything else. <laughs> oh man! And, and uh, yet at the same time in some perverse way, wishing for that ever so glorious uh, threesome to happen. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, the teenage years. (laughs) It's true, man. It's very true. Well, you you live in your fantasy sometimes. Yeah, it's true, buddy. But, um, yeah, but no, there there is definitely a distinct distinction between Martin and Henry. I just want to make sure we uh, get back to that. because That's the thing that I I really found profound this time. Because the first time I saw this, just to be right, forthright, I liked it. But, uh, obviously... As most film fans, and we all, we're all guilty of this, right? We we go back and we've probably seen Dawn of the Dead. We've probably seen Night of the Living Dead, obviously. And we've probably seen Day of the Dead even at this point before we've seen Martin. We go back and watch Martin. We're like, well, this isn't this isn't like his other stuff. This is kind of, this is kind of, it's, it's a bit of a slow burn. There's a lot of, you know, there's scenes of people eating food. Uh, you know, it's just, I mean, it's, it's a typical 70s film in a lot of ways. And, uh I think a lot of people had that reaction when they watched it. I think this film, like again, like we talked about, and I don't know what your review is, but I think it's aged like fine wine. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, I think people were looking for another dead film, right? Yeah, and that's what um, was sort of the the unfortunate timing of Halloween three for some, right? Right, right. People, you were know, looking I, for like we were talking about expectations, we punish or penalize the film for our expectations yeah. which isn't a fair thing um yeah people complain about hollywood doing that to filmmakers but it's kind of what the audience wants from filmmakers too once we start yeah. marketing a filmmaker we kind of want the same thing from them even though we'll it will tell you that we don't mm-hmm. we uh a good portion of our society wants them to just keep doing the same shit yeah no it's very true um and I, you know, one thing I like about this is you could almost look at it as a demystification, right? De-romanticization. That's not even a word, but I'm going to, you know, you get what I'm saying when I say that. Like it, it de-romanticizes and demystifies. Yeah, I got you. So I like that. Um, and it's, this is, what did I write here? Post 60s, post Woodstock. Um, oh, Oh, uh, no, I think, okay, so I was trying to say maybe this post-60s, post-Woodstock thing where there's not even sort of that handsomeness about the monster. There's there's the, there's a distinction between sort of white hat and monster. Because I think at the time, what people were seeing on their TV screens from Vietnam, it was having to begin to question the, the distinction of the line between good and bad and right and wrong and... You know, our neighbors to our spouses and how violence and things impacted us. I don't know. I mean, that might be swinging a little far, but I think because of this film has a very non judgmental eye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's where the sympathy comes in, right? From a skilled yeah. filmmaker. 
Yeah, I don't I don't know if that's too far a reach. I mean, Romero's always been a bit of a political filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um so I can kind of see the the kind of lost nature of the uh the kind of puppy dog Martin could be almost related to that kind of lost nature of the guys that came back from Vietnam trying to reestablish themselves, trying to yeah. overcome, you know, possibly I mean, you go from shooting at people and killing people to coming back to normal society. Pretty tough adjustment, right? Well, and I think that's probably where the death dream thing comes in for me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was just going right. to say, I was like, yeah, I can see maybe now where you're, you tie this and death dream up together a little bit. Of course, I think Savini worked on death dream as well, too. I think he worked on that film as well. So maybe my um, confusion isn't all that ridiculous. I don't, um, think, I don't think so. I mean, I, I like death dream. Uh, I like this more, yeah, I but too. I, but I think that uh, I can see those two films. And obviously there's a, an element of troubled youth to death dream. As there Big is time. Oh, there is. The guys are around the same age, right? Yep. Yep. So I think that's part of it as well. As a matter, um, matter of fact, I got to look in to see who played the lead in death dream because there is very much a John Amplis vibe to that individual. I'm going to look, yeah, that, I'm gonna look um, that up while you're talking. For sure. And I think, too, the time of year, whether it was sort of one of those happy accidents or it was intentional, um, gray, grim kind of time of year, you know, things are rusted, the bricks crumbling. Um, it works. It lends itself very well to the film, the atmosphere. Uh, his cousin is like uh, Uncle Harlan Sanders. Richard Backus. That's the name of the actor that played the the uh, returning Andy in Death Dream. Oh, yes, yes. And he definitely certainly does have a John Amplis feel to him. Yeah, so there you go. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, um, the cousin is an interesting character, <clears throat> mostly because uh, he starts talking about a family curse and, and all these things. So he's kind of our ties to this uh, vampirism being a reality. And uh, it's all, it's a it's a very confusing thing. It's, it's kind of a fun performance. Kuda, Kuda is his name. I remember thinking, wow, what a cool name. What a, I like to be called Kuda. <laughs> Kuda. <laughs> but yeah, he's a uh, come with me, Nosferatu. He's uh, yeah, that's right, man. <laughs> he's a uh, he's a grumpy bastard. He's a cur- he, curmudgeon to say the least. <laughs> yeah, he sure is. I mean, it, it's a, it's a, an interesting performance, and I think the two you sometimes get that generational disconnect, right? Yep. He's older. Like there's just this complete disconnect. They're completely seeing things differently. Um, so yeah, he's he's good. Little Harlan Sandersy for me, but um, you know that was the look. And ironically, John Amplis would look like him as he got older. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. That's uh, what's that? What's the name of the dude that's in um, Hackle Lantern? Five. Um, <laughs> Oh yeah, that actor. What is that actor? High, high something uh, high, or high pike, high pike, high pike. So th- this k- uncle kind of reminds me of like high pike light. Like he's <laughs> kind of going for it. I mean, he doesn't really put his foot on the gas like high pike does, but yeah, yeah, yeah. he's still going for it. Um, yeah, the handheld stuff works really well. You know, another actually, here's two more films. This reminds me of uh, Angst and Maniac. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. weight and the burden of of your impulses, right? Um, really, really, yeah, and just unbearable. And even though there's a home invasion in this, it really reminds me of angst. Mm-hmm. Just kind of bodged and sloppy, and yeah, yeah. His I home, he kind of invades a home, and he 
not to give it completely away, but he kind of st- uh, stumbles upon another incident going on of, uh, uh, metaphorically, another type of invasion in the home, right? Yeah. And uh, it's very clumsy and everything else. And, and I really enjoyed that. Um, I remember thinking the first time, like almost kind of laughing at some of the stuff, but this time I was kind of caught up in it. Uh-huh. No, I agree. I agree. I'll try to keep my notes short because we got two more films and you haven't even said a word, really. Um, this note, I don't remember it, so it's probably not going to be funny anymore, but I wrote <laughs> the most ramshackle church in the history of cinema. Um, yeah. But and, you know, another thing, too, I want to say is Catholicism kind of looms large over over things and kind of the guilt of religious mania. I think there's, there's some of that going on, you know, domineering father figure and... Oh yeah, uh, George Romero's in here as a priest anyway. <clears throat> That's right. He's Father Howard. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And Father his wife, Howard. his wife plays uh, his cousin Christina. His, oh yeah, yeah. Second, there you go. Second cousin, I guess. Uh, um, That's his wife. I always had a bit of a thing for uh, Christine. Uh, Christine uh, Romero. <laughs> Did you? I got to look her up. Oh yeah, she was the yeah. She. I, I mean, it just you know, she's a distinctive looking lady to say the least. Um. Let's see what others about man. Okay. Uh, like, uh Tom Savini plays I mean he's he's in this just Tom barely. Savini, yeah. He's in this just barely, but he does totally feel like the kind of uh working Joe uh sports fan, you know, Pittsburgh everyday guy. Uh he I, mean, I think when he comes in he's asking Martin about jobs from where and where he's from and stuff. You know, he's trying to make it so he's like the next step removed from where Martin's trying to find himself. Yeah, Arthur characters found himself, but he's pretty frustrated at his working and stuff, and he's tired. And you know, Pittsburgh was a, a manufacturing town, steel city, right? So absolutely, these guys, you know, good paying jobs. They work hard though, and they're and you know, with that, you got a whole generation of people who work their asses off and don't feel like they're getting anywhere. Mm-hmm. They survive, but uh, you know, they they obviously when they were in school, that's not what they planned on doing. So you get that whole kind of melancholy sense of that. Possible broken dreams, yeah. Possible pre-alcoholic <laughs> stages, pre-abusive father. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm relating too much of that to my own personal life. Uh, but being a the son of a man who uh, was in manufacturing, uh, I can tell you that he didn't want to do that the rest of his life, and uh, you know, ended up turning to drink quite a bit to to get past it. But it did pay the bills. It paid the bills well. So it, you know. But if you told him he was going to be making toilets when he was in high school, he'd have been like, bullshit. <laughs> no, it's true. But it's that thing, right? The disillusionment sometimes of life, right? And, and where it's taking you, even if it is affording you a good middle-class life, I think uh, yeah. it can be a bit soul-sucking, right? And, yeah. Well, you have every right to be disappointed, right? I mean, you just yeah, you, you have every right. you got to find your patch of happiness, man. That's the way I look at it. You know, I'm not where I thought I would be, but... You know, I'm, I'm compensated relatively well by middle class standards for it, and it affords me an opportunity to do things with my life and my family. And um, I gotta look at, you got to look at it that way versus the job itself, because we can't all have meaningful, spiritually fulfilling jobs. That's for sure. Someone's got to make toilets. Someone's got to sell cars, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah somebody's got to clean the toilet, right? So someone's got to clean the toilet. Yeah. yeah. The uh, that's what I always say. It's like you know, somebody's got to clean these toilets, guys. Let's not. Uh, do me a favor. Don't shit all over them. Uh, shit, yeah, that's true. The, uh, don't shit on hospitality. Yeah. Piss on hospitality. We should, we should also say Savini looks strange, obviously, because he doesn't have his uh, um, his well-known uh, mustache or goatee here. He's still got a bit of a physique, though. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he's always had that. Can't wait for his uh, 
uh, I don't know, 80th birthday cake pitcher. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right, man. Um, I got no. I don't really have any more notes. I mean, you know, I could keep. Uh, yeah, 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 I don't. I don't think there's really more for me to say in this I, regard. I'm I think. I think looking at this film, big picture wise, I think what you see is a, a horror film or a or film dealing with uh, maybe vampire vampirism with uh, uh, kind of in middle America and 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 looking at that and stuff. And that's what I get away from. Now, there is a few things I want to mention. Uh, at one point. I think Martin's going through the ladies' glove compartment. I'm like, is that a dildo in the glove compartment, or is that was that lotion? I don't know what that was. And of course, my note Might to the side was, yeah, my note to the side is, does it matter? <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> either way, either way, it caught my attention. That's all that matters. Yeah. Um, but Not I couldn't Martin's. tell because you know some of those some of those uh, lotion bottles from back in the day, or some products in particular, could look like a dildo, right? I mean, we could, yep. <laughs> as uh, disgusting men, we could probably uh, relate quite a few packaging things toward women to some type of foul. Like symmetry, a symmetry, imagery of some sort. What the hell is symmetry? Um, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's really anything else for me to talk about either. I think that the, I, I think what I liked the most about this and this rewatch was this kind of juxtaposition of Martin's reality and his fantasy, and how he's gotten caught up in his fantasy. Now again, I think. Romero leaves it just gray enough where we could be looking and sharing in his fantasy or possibly this is true. But I also believe that that element doesn't matter because if people go far enough off the deep end and live in their fantasy, which we see this all the time, uh, serial killers live in their fantasy. Um, people with uh, mental health issues can sometimes end up living in their fantasy and, 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 uh, um, causing some bad things to happen they can cause you know normal things to happen too but i'm just saying uh, my wife my wife uh, works with the mentally mentally ill and and uh, some of them live happily in their fantasy and safely and and they're perfectly fine um but sometimes fantasies can lead to some dark things and i think what we're what you get here is a pretty good example for me looking back on it now of an early almost serial killer type picture of an earlier like like a version of Maniac, like or Angst, like you talked about. We're talking yeah. about uh, these type of films with people that obviously have major issues. Um, at some point, something happens to them, and, and they don't they don't really live in this reality anymore. Mm-hmm. And the only difference between them and us is that we're able to discern between and control and yeah, and between fantasy and reality, whereas. Some people that that just doesn't happen. Some people it doesn't happen from birth, but some people have a maybe a traumatic situation in their life that happens, and they go to their fantasy for safety, and they never come back, mm-hmm. or anything. We all have our fantasies, right? I mean, we all do. I mean, I, hell, I just mentioned one of mine earlier with the Eddie Murphy Raw <laughs> uh, <laughs> rental there. Uh, yeah, that girl's mom was hot. Anyway, um, <laughs> whoops. Uh, Zom will appreciate that. Anyway, the, as do I. I yeah. certainly do appreciate a <laughs> yeah. fine glass of wine. Yeah, there we go. So the, I think that what really struck me this time was that element, and I don't know if Romero was going for that. I certainly have to think that he kind of was because I mean, you could he could have went full tilt vampire here, and I think it's more interesting that he never really kind of explains if if that's the reality or not. If, if we're not just watching a scarred uh, young man who grew up with a obviously an abused childhood uh, because there is flashbacks we should say in this movie of his childhood oh yeah and he does feel very skittish though like it Mm -hmm. he does feel like a a wounded animal yeah 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, this film also he never has, feels comfortable, right? Like yeah. he never sorry to care, but he no. never once feels comfortable no. or relaxed. And I, I think that's a I think that's a good thing about the movie. I think this is a strong movie for people who feel alienated in everyday society. I think, you know, all of us have some type of thing that we probably don't talk about uh, in our everyday lives. Um uh, be it, uh, well, I mean, you don't walk into a conversation and say, yeah, man, the other day I was watching like this porn clip and, uh, you know, I mean, we all got our own little things, you know, <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe in a GGTMC get together, that conversation's had, <laughs> Oh, it's, it is had all <laughs> with, right. with some octopi and some other things, but either yeah. way, but in, but in an everyday life, right. You show up, uh, let's say, you know, your wife wants you to get together with some person she met and she's friendly with that person. Now you got to be friendly with the husband because that's just the way life is. And, um, you walk into that situation, you don't, you know, you don't cut the rug immediately and say, hey, man, nice tits. You know, you don't do something <laughs> like that. You know, you, you come into it and say, hey, how's the, you know, what about this weather we've been having? Or what about this? You know, all those kind of bland early things you kind of do. And that kind of alienation you feel, I think, and can feel in society where Martin's a very lonely person. He obviously can't connect with anybody. I think the closest he comes to a connection actually is his cousin, his second cousin, Christina. And uh, I kept thinking they were going to go uh full tilt into a maybe kind of some type of lurid although i live in kentucky i don't know if second cousins is a lurid <laughs> relationship <laughs> i can tell you i can tell you fast and hard i know at least five people that are married to their second cousin um i know a few like that yeah 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 but in kentucky it's pretty common uh it's not uncommon i can tell you that uh there's a reason why we have certain stereotypes down here yeehaw uh zom could probably uh drop a couple on us too i don't know any first cousin thankfully i don't know any of those but uh, uh that is quite possible as well um but i i think you know this film does a lot more than just attacks the vampire thing i think it attacks uh like you said i think it uh kind of gets into the vietnam thing I th- like a lot of uh romero's films i think it gets into the alienation of society of of these people that came back from the war i think it gets into that uh, the way we feel as youth when we're lost, uh, yep. I'm sure Romero and, and, and just about anybody can relate to maybe their early 20s. You know, some people, maybe not. Some people, I know some people that knew what they were going to be when they were fucking 12. And when they got to be 18, that's what they fucking were. And they went to college and they're still fucking doing that. Mm-hmm. Sir, there's certain people who are like that. that. That's not unusual. But I would say the majority of folks, when they get to a certain age, are, are looking for something. And... Uh, be it a, a person that changes their life or be it an experience or be it a job, a car, a fucking, uh, I don't know, a foreskin removal, whatever it is that changes your life for the better or the worse. Uh, foreskin. It depends on how much foreskin, I guess, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of foreskin, there's a lot of slow motion chickens in this. I don't know why that relates to foreskin, but hey. Ooh, that, that chicken skin, son. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's some. Uh, this this film has the turkey many, gobbler. I was, it's funny. I was watching uh, rewatching Convoy because I got my Kino Lorber uh, uh, order in. Yeah, and I was watching. And by the way, Convoy on Blu-ray worth a purchase, man. Looks really good. Um, certainly an upgrade from that uh, the disc that I watched when we reviewed the film. Oh man, that was beat ass. Like, yeah, it was. That was like a Walmart. Wasn't that made by a company called like Cheesy Flicks or something? Yeah, yeah, Cheesy Flicks. I think they picked it up Fuck. cheap and threw it out there. Get that out of the Walmart bin. Yeah, it's worth. Uh, by the way, that Kino Lorber disc, even if you even if even if it is lesser Peckinpah and not your bag, definitely get it. Uh, I got to recommend it big time for um, the commentary track, which talks a lot about what Peckinpah was going through at the time, how he couldn't get movies made, how he was really on cocaine hardcore at that point, and you know how you get these kind of brief moments of brilliance in this kind of otherwise, as we talked about when we reviewed it, kind of bizarre Peckinpah film, uh, which is all over the place. Um, yeah. But still, 
I mean, it's worth owning for that Borgnine performance. Come on, man. That fucking performance sure is, is, man. Uh, anyway, to get off that. Um, I just think this is a deeper film. And actually, I agree with what you said uh, maybe in the beginning. I can't remember what you said exactly. But, I mean, certainly this film has moved way up in the Romero oeuvre, or however you say the word, oeuvre. Uh, Ooh, sure. Yeah. Uh, than I thought it was, and honestly, outside of maybe Day or Dawn, it might be my favorite Romero film. Uh, easily, uh, I think this is a fucking an American classic. Yeah, I would agree with that statement. And uh, for shame that it's not out there. And there's a bit of a a piece on the on the, the uh, I went on YouTube, and there's a bit of a piece on how they talked about how the guy that financed or something kind of owned it and he would only put it out in bits and pieces. and So it's always been kind of a difficult film to get a hold of. And I watched it on uh, Amazon, I think. Uh, either Amazon or iTunes or something. It's, anyway, you can rent it out there digitally and stuff. I watched an HD copy of it. It looked really nice. didn't look you know great, but it looked really nice. And as we often say, it's the best I've ever seen it look. And uh, yeah, man, I think this is a fucking American classic, man. I mean, I, I, I got to say profoundly after I watched this, it's got to be one of my favorite things I've ever revisited on the show, uh, going back and looking at it. Uh, and, and, and it has nothing to do with the fact that we lost Romero, uh, which I'm saddened by, surely. But, man, I just, I, you know, I know this was, I, I think this was his favorite film he ever made, or one of his favorites of the films he made. I think he had mentioned that in interviews. Yeah, I, I, I want to say that. And uh, I think it's really... It's really, really well done. It, 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 it almost turns into, in a weird way, a type of romantic tragedy. And in, in hindsight, watching it this time around, this is a character who can't connect. Uh, he's lost. He's just, he just, you know, he reacts because he can't connect. Which, if you go, if you, if you do any studying on serial killers and and people who have issues like this, one of the main things you realize is those folks can't connect. They just they can't find the person to connect with. They Precisely, can't, they can't they can't they can't fit in, and, and they yeah. and there's a lot of people out there like that that don't do terrible things. But there's a lot of people out there that that's a common thread as well, and they do terrible things. So I think I think this is a very poignant, and uh, as as society kind of becomes more and more what it is, it's easier to disconnect from everything. I mean, you really don't even have to leave your house to be a social person anymore, right? So. It's easy True. to disconnect even more and more nowadays. And I think part of the problem in this is looking for connections leaves Martin worse off for the most part. When you because of that failure to connect time and time again, and you, people will become more recessed or more withdrawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting dilemma. All right, let's get into make or breaks and MVTs and stuff, man. Okay, um, okay. So uh, make or break for me. That first, that opening scene, man, it almost seems like an Italian film in oh, some yeah. ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The train horror. Um, <laughs> Certainly not like, uh, what was that one we watched? Horror Express or? Oh, man, with that, that disco scene. No, what is it? Uh, the one with the, uh, the 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 dad sniffing his daughter's panties. I can't remember the name oh of it. Oh, my God, what a fucking <laughs> sleaze fest. George Eastman wrote that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Baldy oh, well, film. What was the name of that fucking thing, man? I was it Baldy? Yeah, it was a Baldy film because he. Oh, no. <laughs> well, no. 
Not that There's a very crass joke yeah. there. Not that kind of baldy. Yeah. No, not that. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm picking up what you're putting down there, buddy. I mean, there's <laughs> yeah. there, there's a reason we've been uh, best pals for nine years. I mean, <laughs> ain't that the truth, brother? Uh, <laughs> the baldy film. <laughs> yeah. 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 As soon as I said Jeez. it, I was like, yeah, oh yeah, and then you started the laughing. I was like, yeah, he knows what I'm going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Literally, that cat got out of the bag. Ooh. That yeah. that naked sphinx. <laughs> <laughs> amazing man amazing oh shit i lost it but no the opening scene i think gives you a good idea of the kind of clumsy horrific nature and you really get a sense for how martin's impulses work as they work with a lot of people that know their impulses are wrong because there's like this push and pull with like your morality where it almost becomes very sexual well in this case it's sexual and it's more than sexual because once he um, submits to his impulse, I think there's a moment of deep regret afterwards, right? So yes, 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 yes. I really like that scene. Uh, it's it's wonderful in terms of uh, what it needs to do. Um, it, it almost be, it, it almost sickens him, and then it, the further he gets removed from it, the more he moves on. He goes to the next step, right? So it's it's interesting. Yeah, no, it is. Now, I would love to give this to Romero as my MVT, um, but using the Sammy train of thought. Unless somehow John Amplis as a Puerto Rican biker really lights our world on fire in a revisit of Don. He barely seen in that. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to give it to John Amplis because, like I said, he's got this kind of Brad Dourif, baby-faced, sympathetic Brad Dourif kind of, I don't know. I mean, I think if you get the wrong actor cast in this role, the character isn't as sympathetic. And you know another small scene I really like that almost feels like um, – a girl who are, a girl walks home alone at midnight or whatever. Uh, what's her name there? Mary Ann or I can't remember the moment. What was I can't remember her name anyway. I feel like she must have seen that scene where John Amplis is stalking his pseudo stalking his cousin. He's got the oversized plastic fangs in his mouth. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. I kind of throwaway scene, but I really like that scene. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, so Amplis is going to be my MVT. He works wonderfully and somehow makes. Uh, this character um sympathetic score for the film i'm gonna say an 8.75 um i think this is a tremendous film and it's uh i think it's one of the the most underappreciated horror films of the 70s yeah nice nice just period forget 70s man. yeah we're on the same page all the way around on this one um i know we get that every now and then but and we joke about it but this is definitely true in this case my make or break is also the opening scene uh, there's clumsiness, there's terribleness. I don't know if that's a word or not, but there's all those things kind of mixed in there together and uh, very good filmmaking in a confined space. It also sets up that claustrophobia you were talking about, that uh, kind of in tight shooting of the whole movie. Uh, obviously, this is a small movie, but at the uh, same time, uh, I think he keeps it uh, tight from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Uh, MVT, I agree. Uh, Romero's made, you know, arguably one of the, or maybe a couple of the, in some people's cases, greatest horror films of all time. Um, certainly for me, he definitely has made at least one of the most influential and, and greatest horror films of all time. Um, but not really as well known for his other work and probably should be. And it, it's interesting how his films have aged. Because I got to say, you know, he never was a flash in the pan director. His stuff was always more of a... Is more about the written word than it really was about the shot, right? I mean, there, there are Romero-esque yeah. shots in all of his films if you go back and look at them. 
but uh, he was never really kind of the stylist that uh, his friend Argento was, obviously, or even Carpenter, or uh, or even Hooper in some cases. Yeah, yeah or, or even Hooper in some stark cases. Stark stylism. But you're right, man. No, you're totally right. Romero's like a Craven in that way, where his stuff isn't overly stylistic. Yeah, it's more about the written word. And Craven, I would feel yeah. the same way because Craven was very much looking into themes and and questioning humanity and these things. And and again, that's fine. That, that that's a there's a definitely room for those type of horror filmmakers, right? Uh, some people just kind of take advantage of the style and some just take advantage of the of the moment to kind of throw these ideas out there. And I think Romero always did that. I think he always kind of just said, hey, we need to we need to step back and look at ourselves a little bit. Uh, of course, Miles used to joke around, uh, you know, the old zombie joke is, I get it, guys. They're us. Yeah, but, uh, we're the monsters. <laughs> yeah, we're the zombies. We get it. But, I mean, you know, all joking aside, a lot of his films... Uh, I think he uses horror tropes to kind of reflect society. And uh, he may have done it just about as good as anybody ever did. Um, inarguably, I think. Uh, or maybe arguably, I don't know. But uh, he certainly did it as well as anything. I mean, he dealt with prejudice and racism in Night of the Living Dead. He dealt with a consumerism uh, in uh, Dawn. He deals with alienation, youth, youth, youth and alienation, possibly war in this. Uh, I mean, you get an, you look at almost a, a good chunk of his early work, certainly the front portion of his films, and uh, you see a lot of uh, things he's kind of working through. Uh, but yeah, my MVT uh, is going to be Amplis as well. Don't know if I'll ever be able to give it to him again. Uh, certainly won't give it to him if we ever do Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> but uh, no. uh, we'll say that he is brilliant in his performance in this. It's one of the great performances, really, from an actor who never really did a whole lot more kind of character things, and that's about it. So yeah, worth it just for that reason alone to check it out. And my score is right there with yours, man. Eight point seven five. This could be easily in the nine territory. I'll tell you what takes it off sometimes. Some of the performances are a yeah. little too far gone. Uh, yeah, Kuda at times is annoying. Uh, I just want to, man. I just want to say, shut the fuck up, yeah. man. Take your like your amulet and your nosferatu. <laughs> yeah. Stick it up your ass. Yeah. Then while you're at it, stick them fucking garlic knots up your ass too, basty. <laughs> yeah. The uh, <laughs> what are they? The Benoit balls? Or think, the anal yeah. beads? Well, the uh, that moment when uh, I tell you that moment when Amplis bites into that piece of garlic, that clove of garlic, I was like, ugh. I mean, I love oh, garlic. Fuck. Don't get me wrong. So do I. But I've I've bitten into a clove of garlic before. That'll Whew, and that'll light you. That'll fuck you up a little bit. Uh, anyway, that probably would have been a different film if he'd stuck it up his ass. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> easily would have been a 9.5. <laughs> yeah, dropping cloves, man. <laughs> dropping, dropping fucking cloves. Dropping fucking cloves. <laughs> but yeah, 8.75. Uh, an American classic, really, man. One of the great films, one of the great horror films of the 70s, certainly. And overlooked, and uh, I think all three of our films, interestingly, are going to have that kind of theme to them. Uh, and I think, yeah, yeah, I think I think we're going to be talking about over. I don't think Ed Wood's is overlooked because it's not as old, but I think Ed Wood has become overlooked as time has gone on. So anyway, we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, we're going to take a short break. Uh, come back, and we're going to talk Cutter's Way. So we will be back as soon as I can get my. Screen up. There it is. Hey. As soon as you can get those cloves out. Yeah, as soon as I can uh, release these cloves that were shoved in. Uh, yeah. Gently placed, I'd like to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tomato, tomato. Uh, <laughs> garlic, garlic. Garlic, garlic. Garlic, garlic. Yeah. Yeah, everyone put it. All right, we'll be back right after this. 
I swear you'll listen to the good, the bad, and the odd. The good. He has the cruelty of Jack Nicholson's Joker, the wit of Mark Hamill's Joker, yeah. and the laugh of Cesar Romero. <laughs> the bad. He's bald, he's got a cat, he lives in a volcano. What else you need? And the odd. I've seen bits of it, it's really stupid. Swear to me. Just a couple of guys talking about movies. You can find us on www. The good, the bad, and the odd.com. What a beautiful podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back. So, uh, Terror Express is the name of that Baldy film <laughs> that we, uh, <laughs> we were talking about in the last review. So, there we go. Just wanted to get that out of the way because it was driving me crazy. I think we called it Horror Express, and what it should be called is Sleaze Express because that's what it is. Yeah. So, Fucking one way ticket to that, man. Yeah. So anyway, our next film is Cutter's Way, 1981. Now, again, this is an interesting one to talk about because when I remember people talking about Cutter's Way, especially in our uh, in our world, the uh, the world of, um, I guess, the world of the podcasting world we kind of live in, what I remember is I remember uh, the Big Red Podcast covered this. And uh, they sometimes would cover movies if there wasn't any television to talk about and whatnot so i remember them talking about this and uh i remember you watched it shortly after that uh and i remember i had seen it but you know it didn't really have a profound effect on me a long time ago uh so it was kind of fun to go back and watch it uh unfortunately we had we went back and watched it because john Hurd had passed but it was a film we kind of wanted to talk about anyway, so it just kind of gave us an opportunity to move Cutter's way up the up the block, essentially, because John Hurt had passed. I mean, not to make it trivial, but I mean that that did make it a good reason to finally get to this because we've kind of talked about it off and on uh, since. And this film was made in 1981. We should say that. So this is kind of late 70s, kind of carrying over into the early 80s, and this is really right before cinema kind of changed for the better or for the worse, depending on uh, your taste. Yeah. Uh, uh, so. You know, teach like say, oh, like I always say, teach their own. You know, there's, there's people say there's Jaws changed everything, but I've always felt like there's pre Star Wars and there's post Star Wars. <laughs> Agreed, man. Star. I mean, yeah, no, I'm with you, like totally. Yeah. So, uh, and this is uh, post Star Wars, but it's uh, hanging on to the pre Star Wars ways uh, quite a bit. So, 81, good year for film, we should say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very good year. Uh, and this one possibly maybe one of the more overlooked ones of all of all those films from 81 yep uh jeff bridges did a lot of good stuff in the late 70s early 80s should say that. boy did he ever yeah so uh cutter's way 1981 directed by ivan passer uh <laughs> the the uh the uh <laughs> plot synopsis on imdb is is very curt and to the point richard spots a man dumping a body and decides to expose the man he thinks is the culprit with his friend alex cutter uh, I don't really feel like that's kind of what happens. Uh, no, I feel like uh, a lot of things in this are a matter of circumstance, and then I feel like Alex is the one that kind of wants to expose the man and talks Richard into it. Anyway, we'll get into that. So, like I said, this does star Jeff Bridges, uh, John Hurd, uh, Lisa Icorn, who. Uh, Man, really had a thing for Lisa Eichhorn in this film. She's a she's a bit of a suffering alcoholic, but I really liked her uh, in this movie quite a bit as this kind of troubled uh, love interest between the two men. She is quite good in the film, and I think 
through Passer's direction and her turn, the character is um, more life breathed into the character than we've seen in similar kind of, um, you know, buddies on, you know, varying scope of mission type films. And it's not a guys in a mission film, but it, it her performance could seem or be, could be more marginalized or pushed to the edges uh, in sort of a boy's boys adventure film than this one does yep yep so cutter and bone uh was the other title that this film was known as um it's kind of funny you know trivia uh, jokingly uh, jeff bridges character if you're immature like i can be <laughs> like i am <laughs> yeah this, this character is known as richard bone uh, yeah so technically he's a he's a dick bone um, he sure is. Uh, but yeah, Jeff Bridges looks great in this. He's young. He's uh, hunky. He's selling yachts. He uh, can probably pretty much get his way with any woman he wants. Uh, this is before Jeff Bridges became, uh, <laughs> as I kind of joked around about, the kind of mushmouth actor he became. He's become over the yep. years. But still, uh, another good example of the fact that you know he's one of our great actors. Um, he really is, man. Like, I, I, not to interrupt you, I, I do feel like I forget sometimes. Yeah. The run he had through the seventies into like, yeah, mid eighties. I'm, I'm, I'm not a big Tron fan to be honest. Yeah, yeah. So if you go from like, say seventy one to like eighty six, man, what a fucking run! Yeah, yeah, yeah. You put together one hell of a run. We've covered a few of those too. Mm-hmm. I, we've never covered Fat City, have we? No. No, no. Man, that's too bad. Rancho Deluxe. Those are two of my absolute favorites. Yeah, so it's a shame we haven't. We haven't gotten to those yet. But I'm sure we will. I'm yeah. sure we will. And of course, like most actors, you know, he, he pretty much dabbles in the uh, the big budget world now uh, because you know that's where the work is. But yeah, we've cuffed, we've talked uh, Lolly Madonna X. We've talked uh, we've talked um, shit uh, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, right? And yep. trying to think of what else we've talked about of his. I know we've talked about quite a bit of things actually. Last American Hero wasn't one we've covered, but I've talked about it on the show a few times because I'm a big fan of it. Yep. Anyway, he uh, certainly is one of our, like I said, most important actors. And again, this is a, this is really, you know, we're talking, we're covering this because of John Hurd, and this is really a standout performance for John Hurd because John Hurd really kind of became the kind of character actor. Of course, he's really probably most known as um, Kevin's dad in Home Alone, totally to, to a whole generation of folks. But at one point, John Hurd was, uh, you know, a bit more of a character actor and. And if, if you're used to Kevin's dad, if you're used to those kind of John Hurt performances, this will be a bit of a revelation to you. Because, I mean, he really, to say for, to say that he fucking goes for it in this movie, he fucking goes for it. <laughs> Man, does he ever. And uh, it's worth, even if the movie wasn't good, which, by the way, it is, uh, it would be worth seeing just to see John Hurt go for it. Uh, because it's it's very rare to see actors uh, get an opportunity to really just kind of just kind of throw it all out there. And he really just throws it all out there. I mean, and... It all, it pretty much all sticks within the realms of the character. Um, a bit of a con man, a bit of a shithead, a bit of a good guy, a bit of a bad guy. You know, uh, complicated. Uh, these these characters are human beings. What '70s cinema did so much better than what cinema's done since is uh, show that we're all flawed. That we we're not we're not as black and white as we like to think we are. You know what's funny about film? You mentioned that. That that was the great thing about the '70s. And again, a lot of it had to do with post-Vietnam and what we were seeing on screen and not all of it was noble and all of it was good and clear, clearly defined. As I feel like we've almost reverted back 
to a fifties sensibility in in oh yeah cinema in terms of very simplistic looks at good and evil, right and wrong, black and white. It's political correctness, man. That's what it is. I'm telling you right now, the 50s and its political correctness and its curtness and its uh, righteousness and everything else is a time when we look back on the simplicities of life, mom, dad, white picket fence, daughter, son, dog. Uh, everybody had a job, mom stayed home and cooked, dinner was always on the table. All these very simplistic things that we hearken back to in nostalgia ways. And I've often said that I would have loved growing up in the 50s because I love the idea of steak three times a day and, (laughs) you know, dad smoking at the dinner table and all these things. I mean, because, you know, there was a time when people didn't really look at that stuff and, and frown upon it. And don't get me wrong, I understand why we frown upon certain things now. I get it. But I've often said, and I'll say till I'm blue in the fucking face, political correctness fucking ruins storytelling. It ruins Mm -hmm. it. I want my characters to be pieces of shit sometimes. I want my characters to be uh, racist and rapist and all these things. I want complication. If I didn't fucking want that, then I wouldn't fucking watch that. So there's a lot of times now when I get asked, how come I don't watch a lot of newer movies? Like a lot of folks that I work with and stuff will say, hey, have you seen this? Yeah, have you seen that? I was like, yeah, I just don't really have any interest. Why, man? Why? I'm like, well, because to be honest with you, there's nothing fucking interesting about that character to me, bro. That's uh, right. Comic book characters are maybe one of the most uh, profound and, and easy. Look, I'm a, I'm a comic book fan from when I was a youth. Uh, I'm very happy that they make these comic book films. I am. But I find most of the Marvel films to be very bland. Very, they all look the same to me. Nothing, nothing really stands out. Uh, do I enjoy them? Sure, I do. But they just don't do anything for me anymore. That's not what I'm interested in. What I'm interested in is I'm interested in people with a crisis. Yes. Uh, and the crisis isn't a fucking huge purple alien with a glove full of gems. The crisis is uh, how am I going to get my kid fed this weekend? The crisis is, how am I going to find another job so I can take care of my family? The crisis is, you know, how how did I was raised to hate people of another race, but how do I get past that? That's what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of those things, by the way, relate to me. I want to make sure I throw no. that out there. And, and, we've, <laughs> and we've been known to be politically correct on this show just for the sake of argument. Uh, I should say, you know, we just don't want to offend anybody, but I don't think we're politically incorrect people anyway. Sure, we joke around like everybody. I think most comedy is politically incorrect. If it wasn't, it wouldn't be comedy. I mean, I think you're harping on stereotypes and all those kinds of things. And so we kind of do that. We kind of joke around about that stuff. But, you know, I joke around about the South. We joke around about Canada. You know, all these things are stereotypes and stuff. But, you know, as as we often say, to perpetuate the myth, I mean, there's some reality to some of it. So... (laughs) Uh, it is what it is. Uh, I mean, I did see a picture of you and your mom uh, the uh, last night out on the town, and you did have a blue jean jacket on. So I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> it's, it's Canadian tuxedo season. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, e- easy to jump in there and say something, but at the same time, it's like, hey, it is what it is, man. I mean, and, and there's no need to say anything because it is what it is, and we joke around about it like we just had a little chuckle about it, but it's not a, you know, I, I think there's just too many people nowadays in storytelling that are too worried about offending somebody. And yeah. I think people should be fucking offended. 
I think mm-hmm. you need to be offended because I don't think you think for yourself unless you fucking are offended. Well, no, because you're not forced to confront things and reconcile things and work through things, right? Exactly. Which I think is why we're starting to get a, you know, you talked about this when we did our Top 30 show, and I was thinking about it the other day, even though I haven't seen a lot of the films of this new generation of horror filmmakers. But I was thinking about it the other day. We, we probably are on the precipice because of what's going on in society, because of our... Uh, the how far we've went with political correctness. I'm not saying political correctness, by the way, isn't the right thing in society. It probably is. You're talking about more with art. I'm talking with art. I think art should never be uh, censored in any shape or form. I think it should mm-hmm. be if if something totally fucking repulses me, it should fucking repulse me. If if something totally fucking turns me on, it should fucking turn me on. It it's an emotional thing. It has nothing to do with my thoughts on the person. On my thoughts on the on on the people in general, it has nothing to do with that shit. It has everything to do with me thinking about the subject matter and me thinking for myself. And I just don't think people do that anymore. I think people are much more comfortable now going to the movies, having something wash over them, and walking out with a smile on their face. I don't I don't want to go. I mean, I'm just gonna be forthright in saying this. I don't like going to the movies and walking out with a smile on my face all the time. I don't. No, no, I want to. I mean, sometimes I do, but not all the time. But I want to walk out like we talked about. I want to walk out conflicted like I did with Ape. I want to walk yeah. out. I'm actually much more interested in that experience than mm-hmm. I am in the experience of, yeah, man, that was cool. Yeah, man, did you see the explosion? That was awesome. I, you know, that stuff's sure. great. That stuff's fine too. Trust me, I love that shit as much as anybody. But, but I want to. Can't be all that all the time. Yeah, it can't be all that all the time. You know, it, it, it's a good example. You know, I had two cups of ice cream last night. The place I was at, one was vanilla. I had with my daughter because she's not really down with the flavors yet. Uh, so a little vanilla there, which you know. I love vanilla ice cream. I love fucking ice cream. But the next cup was going to be a cup for dad. And that cup was going to have some uh, some pecans, a little chocolate in there, maybe some marshmallows. Yeah. You know? I mean, because, you know, I wanted it that way and stuff. And, and I'm sitting there telling my wife last night, and I'm like actually joking and just half joking, not thinking we're going to have this conversation this morning. And half joking to her and saying, you know, there's probably some part of somebody in this in this area who saw me take that first bite of that chocolate ice cream and kind of give an orgasmic face because I'm kind of watching what I eat lately. Uh, well, I'm just I'm not watching what I eat. I just don't eat as much bad stuff as I used to. I mean, I used to really pound it, but I just now I just everything's in moderation, right? So um, I made this kind of orgasmic face when I bit into that and stuff, and I said, "There's somebody in this room because I made that face, and there's kids around that finds me completely fucking repulsive right now. That I'm a mm-hmm. total piece of fucking shit." Because I made that face in front of kids. And to those people, I say, grow the fuck up. You know? That's right. Grow the fuck up and shut the fuck up. So anyway, very rarely will you hear me get on my my milk crate. But there, I got on a little bit for you guys. I just want to get on the just the ice cream tip before they, uh, before we jump off it. I had an ice cream cone last night at La Dippery here on the Danforth, which you is where you ate all that Greek food. It's Greek town here in the city. Yeah, yeah. And I've been meaning to go there for a while because they got, instead of a million different kinds of ice cream, they got real pure vanilla ice soft serve that they have like a hundred different kinds of dip. Mm-hmm. And I had a honey lavender dip. Yeah, that's right. I, I, man, I put roasted peas on it. Uh-huh. It was delicious. It was like eating like little pretzels because they, they were savory, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Man, that was good. Ice but cream, anyway. Ice cream makes everything better, right? Oh, dude, it does, man. <laughs> when you get back, we're going to have to hit a few ice cream shops. Uh, that's not gonna, gonna, we're going to be fucking be posting so many faces. <laughs> yeah. That's not going to be a problem. Yeah, you're going to you're going to see a lot of uh, the GGTMC O faces. Uh. Going to twist that arm, that baby arm. Yeah, ooh, yeah. That rusty trombone. Uh, yeah. That rusty Richard bone. 
Yes, that's right. But anyway, to get off of that, this is a great example of this. This is a film that's not politically correct. This is a no. film. This is a film where you have a character who's essentially um, an alcoholic and a piece of shit, mm-hmm. uh, which I fucking loved. You have yep. another character who's trying to remove himself from being a piece of shit by trying to establish himself as a normal person, but it's still a piece of shit because he sleeps. He is with a people. piece of shit, and his sleeps, impulses. Yeah, there. sleeps with people's wives, sleeps with people's girlfriends. He's a shithead. Yeah. Uh, we got Lisa Icorn in here playing an alcoholic who would rather, uh, you know, obviously she doesn't have any kids, so I'm not gonna call her a piece of shit. But I would, would I, and and I'm not. Look, <laughs> before I go any further, I want to say people who have alcohol problems, I can. I grew up with an alcoholic dad. I understand. I don't think you're a piece of shit if you are an alcohol alcoholic or post-alcoholic. I don't think that, okay? I don't think that in any way, shape, or form. I just want to say that she abuses the her narcotic of choice, and she lives behind her, essentially what we talked about the first thing, her, her fantasy, which, in- interestingly, I think all three of our films have a common thread this week, which is everybody kind of living in their fantasy, which is kind of fucked up. I didn't even really think about that until just now. Um on outsiders, right? In the yeah. fringes of society. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and some of them trying to get into the normal parts of society, and some of them can't, you know, they never can't connect. So anyway, mm-hmm. uh, she's 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 a person who's drinking her problems away. And arguably, you could say she's, you know, a piece of shit or whatever. Yeah. Again, that's just a, f- a term of phrase, you know. I mean, like I always say, somebody does something bad, but, you know, hey, that's somebody's son, that's somebody's daughter, that's somebody's something. So we might think that, but that doesn't mean that, you know, that person's father, mother, or whatever thinks that. So, whatever. So, in, in the eye of the beholder, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, if so, it would make me a religious man. That's not what I am. Um, that was actually a quick little job there. It's somebody in my life. I don't I can't believe I just said that out loud. I know where you're going with that, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, to kind of get back to the point of the movie, uh, which is what we're actually here to talk about. Sorry, folks. Uh, Cutter's way. I guess I can lead on this one unless you want to, and then I'll lead. I led on the last one, so okay. I, I don't mind. I mean, but whatever you want, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I can I can talk about this one. Yeah. First, we should say that uh, we, like we said, we talked about Jeff Bridges, his uh, career, uh, the kind of interesting choices he made throughout it in the beginning. Really, one of the last uh, kind of great American actors to kind of pick some really great American projects. So uh, definitely go yeah. back and look at Jeff's uh, Mr. Bridges' work from. Uh, even before Last Picture Show, but looking uh, definitely look into his uh, his run between Last Picture Show and uh, Eight Million Ways to Die. Maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe around mid eighties, somewhere around there. Which, which uh, our buddies over at Cult of Muscle I think covered somewhat recently, which mm-hmm. we're big fans of. Yes. So, uh, did, we, did you mention that you may have with John Hurd? I think we've covered covered. Fuck's sake, man! <laughs> <laughs> we've covered two of his. Uh, Great performances, yeah. unsung. Uh, that being Chud. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's great in Chud. And right? this, he's fucking great in Chud, man. Yeah. Which I know Todd would have got a boner thinking talking about Chud. Yeah. That, he would have got a chub. He would have got that. Yeah, a bud, bud the chub, a chub the chud. <laughs> bud the chub. <laughs> That's right. Can I speaking of bud the chub? One more thing, Gina Lola Brigada, man. Woo. Oh yeah. Yeah. A yeah. picture of her on Instagram. Yeah. Good a, lord. That's a chuddy bub. Um, anyway, <laughs> yeah, I noticed we, we laugh, we joke and stuff, but I know, I noticed you call one of your sons, uh, Bubby, Bub. yeah, yeah. Bubby. That's right. Yeah, and I actually call one of my bub as well. I go, well, one of mine, I only got one son, but I call my son <laughs> bub as well. I don't think, I don't think I've ever shared that with you, but we, no, that's I've cool, always, man. I've always called, uh, Landon is kind of my affectionate name. I got two affectionate names for him. He's bub, bub and cheap, chief, 
cheap. Cheap. I <laughs> like that. That's a cheap. That's a cheap first. Uh, yeah, that's cool, that man. Was, that was my affectionate name for the girlfriend I rendered raw with. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, she was cheap. Her layer of rusty trombones. And her mom. Her mom was even cheaper. Uh, <laughs> Too bad. I my women, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You think our wives aren't up now? They'd be beating our asses. Yeah. Uh, so Lisa Eichhorn, like I said, she's got an interesting performance. Also, Anne Dusenberry's in this. She plays the sister of the the aforementioned daughter of woman that is killed. Uh, she's interesting. She's really good in the movie. Um, she's kind of got a sexual tension to her and kind of a precociousness, kind of almost a Colleen Campish kind of yes. thing to her. Also, I kind of when I was doing research on the movie, kind of found out she's married to uh, Brad Fidel. I think the guy, you know, the Terminator guy. Dun 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 dun. You know, that music. So, no way. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I was kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of weird when you put things together and stuff like that. But she didn't do it because I, I was looking at her and I was like, well, she's kind of precociously kind of cute. I kind of, you know, I want to see more of Ann Dusenberry. So, I'm going to look into her filmography and see if I have seen more of Ann Dusenberry. I didn't do the Sammy oh. search. I didn't think to do Oh, yo, no, I did I did do the Sammy search. I just recalled. I just had a moment. I had, sorry, I had a senior moment there. And now I, now I just had a moment of, uh, you know, <laughs> Just uh, sunset on me. The, the anyway, uh, beside the point. Did a couple Sammy searches in this one because I love both the women in this film. I think uh, Lisa Eichhorn is very attractive in this movie. I love her voice. I love the kind of raspy smokers, uh, kind of alcoholic voice. I love the scene where just getting way off topic of the way we're talking about the movie, but I love the scene where Jeff Bridges comes back and sees her kind of laying out in the sun with her top open, and she comes yep. in and says, "You like what you saw, uh, Bone?" And uh, I'm sitting there thinking, I fucking did. Um, <laughs> Anyhow, uh, neither here nor there. Let's get into the movie proper. So, essentially, what you got is you got a very simple setup. We find out very quickly that Bones' character is a bit of a, a bit of a, uh, well, he's a prick, right? I mean, he sleeps around with folks. He sells yachts, so he's probably sleeping with rich wives, uh, husbands who don't have anything to do with their wives because they're probably sleeping with other things. Again, all cliches, but it it sets up the character very interestingly. Um, there's also a performance in this, and I'll mention to it. When we, I'll mention him when we get to it. But I think an underrated performance from uh, that. Uh, kind of a uh, chubbier actor that's in the movie with them. Oh, who's like Jeff Bridges' boss yeah. slash friend? Yeah, yeah Ar- he is quite good in the film. Arthur Rosenberg is the name of yeah. that character. Actor. George Swanson, that's yeah. right. He's good, man. Yeah, he was in Footloose. I remember him in Footloose and a couple other things, but he's mostly always a character actor. But he's really good Cuj- in this, man. I really like him. In Cujo, he plays a character named Roger Breakstone. <laughs> yeah, yeah he's, he's, uh, he's really good in this. I, I, and I'll tell you why I like him here in a, in a bit uh, when I get to it, but... First of all, this film's very post-noir. Yes. Um, so it's kind of a neo-noir type thing. It's got a great feel to it. I watched an HD copy on Amazon, so it looked it looked pretty great. Um, Man, for sure. Of course, I love headlights. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, figuratively and literally. No, but the uh, not those kind of headlights, but uh, in a non-joking manner. I love the way headlights play on film, right? Because oh, headlights in real life play that way too. Really, if somebody if pulls up behind you and the lights are hitting your mirror just right and stuff, you're you're basically blind. So you can kind of see what's going on. You kind of can't see what's going on. I love the way they kind of play with that because at some point they asked the Jeff Bridges character, "Was this the guy you saw, the infamous JJ Cord, who's a great character actor named Stephen Elliott, who uh, played a lot of bad guys?" But the one I remember him playing the most was he was uh, in Dudley Moore's author. He was the the future father-in-law of Dudley Moore and a real fucking shitty bully and uh, wore these yellow like hunting glasses and stuff like that. Just a real fucking asshole. One of the great bad guy performances. But he always he always played kind of stoic, uh, terrible, bad, powerful men. And he has that look. 
and unfortunately, you don't really see much in the movie outside of him sitting on a horse or doing things like that until the very end. And 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 I'll just say this: Wow, what an ending! But oh, uh, yeah, this movie's got a, a hell of a wallop of an ending, I think. So really, kind of smacks you across the face as you know, wake up. You know, this is what cinema should be. Uh, yep. Uh, you know, instead of third act uh, action scene. Uh, <laughs> some of my notes. Boss were, battle. Yeah. What? Yeah. Boss battle. Exactly. <laughs> what an unfortunate name for Richard Bone. But um, the uh, good thing uh, 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 John Hurt's character's real name isn't Turk because you know Turk Cutter uh, comes off a of close. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> if he was my friend, that, yeah. If he was my friend, that's what he'd be called. Hey, Turk Cutter. Turk Cutter, man. Yeah. So anyway, well, there is a football coach named Dirk Cutter. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's close enough. That's close enough. I'm that's sure he's close. Got, that's as close as we're gonna get. I think he's gotten a few jokes in his day. Sure. <laughs> I think the one of the other great things about Hurd's character in the movie. Again, I'm gonna get into the basic setup. So we have somebody who possibly sees a murder. He doesn't know that he saw a murder, uh, or the aftermath of a murder. He we don't find that out and, and until he finds it out. He he saw something, but he never saw the body. We see the body as the audience. So yeah, we're, we're kind of this uh, kind of you know narrator we're kind of making the story as we go along with uh jeff bridges character uh, he kind of reads about it the next day he kind of talks about it with his friend and stuff but what the alex cutter character is it's a great excuse to kind of spit like truth out there to kind of spit that non-politically correct uh rhetoric out there right at any given moment he'll still like he makes he makes easily i would not call this guy my friend anymore if i showed up in a bar with a bunch of african-american dudes and he made me as uncomfortable as he makes jeff bridges oh my gosh <laughs> i mean he really to use the term nowadays he really throws him under the fucking bus <laughs> Jeez, does he ever and you know what the great thing about that scene is it really sets Kurd's character up to be what i think we all know people like and you know again talk about vietnam right this vietnam vet mm-hmm. um he challenges us to like him because of his yeah um well there's there's an element of yeah there's an element of him that's shitty that there is any human being with any common decency would not like but then there's also an element of him where you almost respect the fact that he just fucking he just throws it out there Mm -hmm. he just says look fuckhead you know this shit wouldn't happen if it wasn't for the corporations or this shit wouldn't happen if it wasn't for the fact you were such an idiot and so, you know, he's kind of the it's interesting because it's a friendship between two guys that are opposites. But at some point, and this will kind of get into that uh, Rosenberg uh, actor I was talking about. At some point, you can see these guys were all childhood friends. Uh, I'm guessing that Cutter or not Cutter, the uh, Richard Bone, Jeff Bridges character, he didn't go to the war. But Cutter did. And they all come from this nice part of California. I don't know where it's set, but they they all kind of come from it. It seems like it's like Santa Monica or yeah, kind of a smaller beach town, right? Yeah, Santa Barbara or something. Maybe some. This seems like a town where you know there's yeah. a different dude with an eye patch in this Santa Barbara. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> it just seems like that kind of uh, you know kind of town, and it seems like these three guys grew up together. And this is where I'm going to get into the George Swanson character. These kind of guys grew up together. One of them went to war, and it changed their buddy. Their buddy probably was more. Uh, what they've become whereas like richard bones kind of taken on this kind of corporate role of selling yachts with his friend and just surviving getting by and day to day you know fucking people hanging out lots of lots of fucking lots of bush as we always say <laughs> you know drinking just fucking around you don't have any kids no responsibilities just living the life right sleeping on boats 
And, you know, he's working with his probably one of his best childhood pals. They probably grew up with all the same kind of ideas as you do when you're young. You know, we all kind of grow up with our best friends and our, our buddies and stuff. We see some things. Obviously, that changes us as we get older. And But for Cutter, the war changed him. The reality of the world completely changed him. And what I find pretty admirable about the movie is that Richard Bone and George Swanson still care about Alex Cutter. Uh, yeah. And that his girlfriend still cares about him because this guy is one of the most obnoxious people. I mean, he he's a constant fucking problem for these characters. You know, he's either drunk, <laughs> he's either hung up somewhere, he's either causing problems somewhere, he's getting arrested, he's shooting real guns. <laughs> it seems like a, a constant thing, yeah. right? Yeah, like, like, here like we a, go again. Yeah, it's like a constant source of stress for these people. You know, you start to think to yourself, well, I know why Mo drinks, I know why bone you know feels like this allegiance but you know why he's kind of depressed maybe this is why he sleeps with other people's wives outside of just the physical need of that but maybe this is why george swanson that character he drinks too so you you, you see all these things that all these numbing uh these numbing agents that these people use and to get by in life and i think one of the things i like the most about this movie is a lot of the characters felt real um, nobody really feels completely fake. There's there's some ludicrous stuff at the back end with a horse and everything else, but it's so ludicrous. It's all it's just about awesome uh, with the insanity of it, right? Uh, and, and I don't want to get into it too much because the ending, like I said, packs quite a while. But it's it's so fucked up when you think about it uh, in practical terms. You know, this this one eyed guy on a pat, with a patch on his eye riding a horse. <laughs> uh, and we should say that he's not only has the patch and lost an eye, but he also lost uh, part of his leg, right? Uh, yeah. And there's some great, um, really great um, camera trickery in this, right? Yeah, 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 where the legs Which, are buried in the bed and stuff like that. Do you, do you think that Zemeckis's um, Lieutenant Dan is like a tribute to? <laughs> you know, I'd like to kind of think that, but Zemeckis was kind of, you know, making movies around this time too, so. I don't know, man. It just feels too, like the stuff with the legs and the bed and the eye patch and the bitterness yeah. and Sinise yeah. is channeling herd. And yeah, well, no, I'd, I'd, I'd say somebody somewhere in that production referred to Cutter's Way. I have to think they did. And can I tell you, too, I was watching this late one night and my some my bub, my bubby, Braden, watched about 30 minutes of this with me. Wildly inappropriate stuff. I kept telling, I kept turning his head, and he'd hear words, and he'd turn his head. And say, "Man, you got you can't be watching this." <laughs> yeah. But he woke up during this, and me watching Cooley High. Yeah. And it's one of those things. Is a I think as he gets older, he's probably gonna have these foggy notions of these, and he's gonna remember them because he'd keep asking me about the film, and he'd say, "Cool, that movie where where I think, uh, I think his name was Hilton uh, Jacobs. His name was Cochise." He'd say, "Do you remember when I got up and watched that film where Cochise died?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's remembering these things, you know, and it's yeah, it's, it's awkward. Yeah, it's interesting, right? It's interesting. Yeah. First of all, it's just interesting what kids remember, and and how these this stuff they have no comprehension emotionally of of what's what's happening on the screen. It's interesting that they, they're there's like a flicker there, and they're trying to process something, and it's engaging them. They don't quite know why because it's so alien to them, right? So yeah. anyway, I just wanted to mention that before. I yeah, forgot. yeah. Um. It's interesting to me the the way this film kind of goes forward. They they end up at this parade, kind of celebrating the local town, and again, there's a there's a heavy Latino element. It's definitely Southern California, um, and they're kind of celebrating this town, the founding of this town and stuff. Again, all that stuff would be erased nowadays because of uh, you wouldn't be able to have that parade nowadays because of political correctness. Mm -hmm. But uh, 
which is you know a whole other fucking thing I don't even want to get into. But uh, you know, you you can't celebrate the past without being. Evidently, you can't celebrate the past uh, anymore nowadays without being a racist, even though you're not doing that. But uh, whatever. I don't know about celebrate is the right word, but fuck, I'll just say that you know. <laughs> You know, I I can't wait until somebody comes into my little area and burns down fucking Abraham Lincoln's cabin or some shit. Um, Oh, boy. (laughs) Tell me about it. I don't know. It's just way out of control. But uh, either way, um, the uh, I always had difficulty understanding how he kind of recognized the guy in the parade. And then I thought to myself, well, if it's a small town, though, people kind of know who the powerful guys are in small town, right? You do. You know them to see them, if nothing else, right? Yeah, so he probably grew up knowing who J.J. Cord was. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, J.J. Cord's a full generation removed from Cutter and Bone and uh, George Swanson, so they probably all know who the hell he was, probably from their youth. Almost like a corporate, like not a boogeyman, but men gravitate towards power and have an awareness of it right so yeah you would certainly know who that was so this this film is another really great reminder for me of how much fun it is just for characters to interact just to have people sit down and and have great conversations Uh, i kind of said this on facebook recently that some of my favorite things about uh, game of thrones has always been when characters sit down and talk because i find that more interesting and when i say that I, i say that with the finale and uh recently and some just where like peter dinklage and his uh sister there his crazy sister cersei there have conversations about uh their dad and things like that i find those moments to be the most poignant moments of shows like that whereas you know i know a good portion of people find uh i don't know a battle or um uh maybe in the last uh, a dragon and uh you know an undead dragon to be a big deal to me that's not really a big oh. fucking deal i've been into heavy metal for a long time there's been undead dragons <laughs> there's been undead dragons in my life for years <laughs> for like 30 years man <laughs> yeah but to me to sit down and talk about the complications of life is much more interesting and this one has some really great conversations in it great great diner scene where they're kind of right, working yeah. out their scheme uh great uh uh, just scenes all together. Great scene with uh, between Quisen- uh, Quisenberry, I guess is her name, between her and uh, or Duesenberry. I can't remember what the fuck I said. I think you're thinking of Dan Quisenberry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, the, uh, the and Anne Duesenberry. Yeah, there Ooh. we go. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Duesenberry and uh, Heard in the car where there's this kind of sexual tension and stuff. And he's being very, well, not flirtatious. He's essentially assaulting her by today's standards. But, uh, yeah, there's that interesting moment. And just a lot of great conversations. Even the last conversation of the movie is pretty great between uh, J.J. Cord and, and Jeff Bridges and stuff. Um, but like I said, that what I think to me I like most about this film kind of comes down to one scene. There's a scene where they're kind of walking away from a dinner where they've kind of talked about things. They've ate this dinner at this kind of posh kind of, uh, I don't know, marina type restaurant, right? Yeah. And they're walking back from the marina type restaurant. And everybody's, well, maybe not everybody, but I'm certainly sure a good chunk of us has, has eaten at one of these restaurants where there's a certain type of clientele that, uh, <laughs> to say the yeah, least, uh, Alex, yeah, Alex Cutter does not fit in with. Nope. And uh, But he feels comfortable there, which makes me leads me to believe that he was, you know, he grew up as one of these people, right? But he just became jaded by seeing what he saw in the war and everything else and by how some people have it great and some people have it shit. And he gives this really great speech in the park, this really kind of great speech basically about humanity and, and what it means and, and why we should do the right things and why we should do these things. And it really kind of hit home at that point for me that, you know, that's a really great speech. There's a lot of great moments in that little scene and really a great moment for John Hurd and, you know, to get on his soapbox and speak a little bit. And uh, it really feels like it's coming from the director at that point. But 
Uh, really great stuff. They, I mean, they don't make films like this anymore. I guess the closest no. you can come to it is there's no real comic relief in this one. Um, so I guess the closest you can come to it is the directors who rely heavy on dialogue, like your Quentin Tarantino's and things like that. Not to compare this to a Tarantino film, but I would say Tarantino's very aware of this movie. Yeah, it feels like stuff that he enjoys, where characters get together, diners or whatnot. They come up with schemes and plans. But instead of doing flashbacks and showing the plans and everything else, which is another type of film he's being influenced by, what you're getting is, you know, really just scenes of characters working things out. And I think that really works very very well in here. But there's there's also a mix for me of of a little bit of like it almost feels like a and this is a weird one, but I got a Tony Scott vibe from this thing. Not, okay. Not not in the way that Tony the Tony Scott we know. Okay. The Tony yeah, Scott, yeah. The the, early Tony Scott, like yeah, Man yeah. on Fire. Yeah. yeah. He did the original too, didn't he? Uh. Or no, am I mixing that up? No, he didn't do that one. He did. Uh, what, okay. what? What? I'm trying to think of the Tony Scott film I really got the feel from. But I did get you know that kind of that little bit of even though True Romance is a bit of a uh, a Tony Scott kind of you know the Tony Scott we come to know the the kind of pre gun pre top gun Tony Scott. Uh, of of conversations and and things happening and and kind of mo- there's some macho ness in here uh, nothing like the wild bunch or anything else but a little bit of that stuff's in there uh, I I just think that there's interesting moments in here that you know like Tarantino takes it to another level because he's he's very self referential filmmaker kind of like uh, Brian De Palma or something else so he takes that stuff to another level and you get comedy out of that. When you think about Pulp Fiction or you think about the scene in, in True Romance, the uh, Sicilian scene, uh, that borders on both a reality for a good portion of folks and also borders on ludicrousness, which is what I think Tarantino borders on altogether, right? I think his, yep. his films border on a certain amount of reality, but they also border on a complete aloofness to reality. Uh, nobody really acts like that. Nobody really talks like that. People think they act like that, and they think they talk like that, which I think is, when you go back and look at Tarantino's work, that's what we're going to find is I think people perceive themselves to be that cool, but in reality, they're not that cool. Um, it's true. Because they're really just kind of scumbags, right? So I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of moments in this film where I got that vibe. Don't ask me why, but it just kind of came. But there's no like like Tarantino camera work or even Tony Scott camera work, really, that I can – kind of reference here i'm just saying i got that kind of feel maybe of that collaboration between him and tony scott for true romance the way the kind of characters work the way it's kind of a mess not with yep. the, again not with the comedy bits not with the sunny shebaness not with all that shit but and, and don't get me wrong i like true romance a lot but i mean the all that stuff's kind of there just without the self-referential stuff um, correct yeah the, correct yeah the the moments where you know i mean like like i always say the great thing about uh, that I'll, what I fell in love with originally with Tarantino's writing was everybody watched movies in his movies, right? Everybody read books. Everybody, you know, talked about shit. A lot of times before his movies, a lot of people didn't talk about other movies and movies. So anyway, neither here nor there. I'll just get that out there. Movies filled with complicated human moments, like I said. Uh, there's affairs. There's uh, arguably almost rapes at some point. There's uh, It's very complicated. Uh, to say the least. It's a story set in time. Uh, I got to say, if I was that neighbor, if I was Cutter's neighbor, I'd want to punch the fuck out of that guy regardless if he's... <laughs> uh, you know, I know he's a veteran and everything else and he did all this stuff and you're supposed to respect him, but that guy just fucking ran into my fucking... just tore my house and my car apart. <laughs> I'll punch this fucking guy in his other leg. <laughs> Jesus. And that one dude, yeah, like... 
He's got every right to be hot at that uh, fucking. Yeah, and then John Hurt comes out and plays the. He basically plays the uh, the veteran card. Oh, of course. Yeah, he turns it on, right? So it's a great kind of yeah. con manish kind of moment. It kind of shows you the the reality of the way the Cutter character kind of sees the world. Like he he knows that most things are surface level. Most, yep. most people never see the real people behind all the surface bullshit they see. And I I think that's really kind of a – it's both an arrogant and a truthful thing to do, uh, and I really enjoyed that. It kind of shows his intelligence in a lot of ways and that he's not just a drunk, uh, you know, uh, crippled man with a with a bad attitude. He's actually kind of making us look at ourselves like, you know, you guys are the fucking pigs, not me. Yeah. I'm trying to show you that all you guys see is what's on the surface. Um. So – I don't want to like I said. Don't want to get too much into the story of this film because I think it's got a great story and I think it pays off really well. I think there's a great sense of urgency on the back end. I love uh, Jeff Bridges' character. Kind of, <laughs> he's kind of running away the whole time toward the back end of the movie, even though he's not really running. He's just trying to always kind of avoid everybody he's supposed to avoid. Um, and of course, I love the social dynamic. Uh, again, I don't have any problems with uh, people of any social dynamic or social range. It is what it is, but. I love the I love that the bitterness of that makes for great storytelling, and uh, how some can I, again Cutter could have maybe had this lifestyle, but he chose not to have it. And I think there's it's never really said in the movie, but it feels like he volunteered, like he wanted to fight for his country. He went, he came back, and it's almost like he regrets it. Uh, and then, but part of him, like a lot of veterans I know, doesn't regret it. It's a it's a complicated performance from John Hurd. And I think that complication leads to all these other complications for his friends. Like, their lives are completely affected by this guy they decide to be friends with. And uh, I think that's interesting because that's the way real life is. Real life is that way. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're only who we're informed by being around. I mean, yep. that's who, who, we, uh, who we become. And it's, uh, it's interesting. There's a kind of social dynamic there that's at play. And it's never really explained in the movie, but I, I think that's that's what the brilliance of the movie is. You know, again, I think this is an, an era when filmmakers didn't explain everything. You know, nowadays there'd be a flashback. You'd see why Cutter joined the war. You'd see a, a a nostalgic look at the Swanson character, the Jeff Bridges character, watching him ride away on a, in a taxi, waving because he's going to the war. I mean, that's the kind yes. of shit, that, that's the kind yes. of shit you'd see now. It'd have to be explained to you because people people don't understand storytelling anymore. People want everything kind of spoon fed to them now. Whereas here, that I'm, I'm, I'm coming up with all that stuff, right? I mean, and it might not be the same thing you came up with. That's what I miss in cinema. And recently, I we're, we're covering Stalker in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. And recently, rewatching that, I got a totally different thing out of that that I got when I saw it when I was like 22. So oh, I bet it was an interesting, interesting experience there. So again, sometimes age informs you. Sometimes experience informs you. I'm going long on this. I'm going to shut it down now and let it go for you. Oh, but yeah, I think you're, you nail it, though. And, uh, you know, I want to say, too, what you mentioned with Cutter um, is this whole film is thrust forward because of his mistrust. You talk about the surface level stuff. His ability to see beyond the surface because of his cynicism, newly found or not, I think is what propels this film forward. Um, not Not from sort of the film standpoint, but the, the, what the character's actions are and how the actual plot moves. A lot of it is reliant on his sort of salt and vinegar and his cynicism towards um, people and the upper crust society yep. in yep. some way. So that's really all the notes I got. I mean, I just think this is a really pivotal piece of filmmaking. And, and I don't really know a whole lot of work from Ivan Passer, but um, 
I think I may have seen one of his other films, but uh, yeah, he's still kicking. He's still out there. He's a Czech Czech filmmaker from Czechoslovakia. Again, so we can kind of get into that. He's kind of uh, you know uh, a European, Eastern European, looking at America. So there's there's always that element too. But I've always kind of wanted to see some of his other films. I know that Silver Bears and Born to Win. I've never seen any of those. No, I don't know that I've seen much else of his, but. Um I'll just talk about a few things quickly. I got to give it up to our good friend, the voice of our show, Alyssa. Alyssa was the one that turned me onto this film. Yep. And uh, the opening to me is very intoxicating. I, I don't know. The music, it's hypnotic. It's kind of this warbly music. It's dreamy. It's very slow. It's kind of off kilter. Yeah. Is this, uh, who, who did the music? Jack Nietzsche Dare yeah, by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I know the name. <laughs> One of the all-time greats. Yeah. So, yeah, I just picked up uh, his um, Starman score on vinyl for like five bucks. Oh, nice, nice. Curious to give that a listen. Another another, um, another strong Jeff Bridges movie. Yeah? There you go. Yeah, it's stupid me. I wasn't even making the connection. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, absolutely it is. Um, but uh, and that film, even though I saw it nine years ago, uh, last, it would probably impact me even more now, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of that happening. So, um, yeah, the opening, this is very much a neo-noir. Um, it's California versus sort of Florida. Uh, we get the Bridges stash in this. Um, this also, I think, post Watergate, right? I mean, we're getting into the mistrust, and you're seeing it in film, the mistrust of of um, institution and the powerful, which, you know, you can get all the way back with the original noirs, right? People in power, sure. the little guy sure. kind of saying, hang on a second here. I'm not going to be either compliant or I'm not going to sit back while the wheels keep on turning. Um and this feels very Lynchian in some ways in terms of the peak in at a town behind closed doors that there's deep, dark secrets. Well, again, Lynch wasn't the first guy to do that, but um, he's done it effectively. And, and on our show, of course, Blue Velvet, when we had the Red Waffle on. Uh, yeah, with, well, um, Lynch has done it not only effectively, but Lynch has done it in the way only Lynch can, right? Correct. Yeah, he's got correct. such a unique look at the way the world works that... <laughs> Yeah, he sure does. Which evidently is quite poignant because I haven't watched the new Twin Peaks season. Nor have I. I think I got to watch the old one. Frankly, I've only ever seen three episodes and it left me very cold. Hot hot take here. I never really liked Twin Peaks. No, man, me neither. And some people are going to shit on us for that. Oh, yeah, big time. I I just, I tried. I even tried when it was on Netflix like a year or two years ago. I'm like, I said to my wife, you know, it seems like everyone I know loves Twin Peaks. Maybe I missed something before. Sure. So I put it on. I was like, man, I cannot fucking get into this at all. I should say that I like the film, the Fire Walk With Me film. I haven't seen it. Well, I like the film because it's totally, it's very Lynchian. It's fucking, it's, (laughs) well, that's all I'll say. It's, it's Lynchian. I'll have to go give it a watch. Um, But yeah, yeah, well, I mean, from what I hear, the new seasons. People are going bananas over it, man. Yeah. Which is fine. Which is fine. I mean, yeah, I, I don't again, hate it for sure. I think that's where our great filmmakers, sadly, are going to end up. I, th- I really do believe that. I think our unique artists, I think it'll come back around again at some point, but I think our unique visual artists are going to end up on television because I don't think anybody's, whether people want to admit it or not, I don't think people are interested in David Lynch films anymore. Well, I think, too, the ability to tell stories more long form is mm-hmm. 
you know, yep. is important to them, and, and so it should be. Um, now, ooh, dropping my cell phone. Um, <laughs> I, you know, another film this kind of reminds me of in some ways, and we said we we're going to cover it, and it's known notoriously for a really bad scene that the director hung the actor out to dry with. But it's a good film, and it really does remind me a lot of this. Is Tough Guys Don't Dance? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, that is a good film. That's it's a good film known for a bad scene. Yep. It is a good film known for like a <laughs> bad scene, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. You could almost substitute. Well, Bridges is a better actor than O'Neill. O'Neill's get better than he's given credit for, but it always uh, reminds me of that uh, GIF I always see. I see it almost religiously yeah. once a month of. Uh, What's his name? Uh, Dawson or whatever that Dawson's Creek guy uh, doing the crying face. I see that. Yeah. Thing. You know, that, again, that doesn't uh, sum up the whole show. Not that I'm a fan of Dawson's Creek. I never watched an episode no. of my life. But every time I think of Dawson's Creek, the first thing I think of is that crying face. It's true. <laughs> it's very, very true, man. Uh, um, out of context, stuff can be fucked up. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. Very, very true. I love the the whole wrong place, wrong time thing with, uh, with Bone in this and that alleyway and the body's dumped very unceremoniously. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like that quite blood. a bit. Like, it reminds me a little bit, too, of, like, you know what this film reminds me of? And this maybe seems a bit um, of a reach, but you kind of hinted at it um, inadvertently when you talked about Europeans doing Americana or America and Americans um, is pretty maids all in a row. Yeah. Roger Vadim, you know, a Frenchman, I would assume of Czech or Eastern European descent, making a film that's sort of a murder mystery kind of in some ways. And this, this again, I, I love seeing people like Vim vendors or Europeans doing Americans. Well, yeah, America. Well, I think, uh, you know, we have a unique situation there, right? Because American cinema has informed so much of other cinema, not to mm -hmm. say that, you know, there isn't great cinema in other countries. We know there is, we know Russian cinema has got its greats. We know, European cinema, we know all this stuff, but sure, of course. I, th I do think it's interesting when Europeans or Chinese or Japanese come over here and make a movie. I think it's it, it's a unique situation for America in that we give these entertainers, these storytellers, the opportunity to work in American society, and the way they see America kind of comes to light. And yeah, if we really pay attention. I think it's interesting the way other people see us. Oh, and that's exactly what I was getting at, was yep. how America is perceived, right? And sometimes clear objective eyes seem to ha ring more true than those that are immersed in it and of it. Yep. Um, so it's very fascinating. Um, there's that moment when I think the police officer says... The, the girl crushed trachea, crushed skull, semen in the throat, 17 years old. I mean, that really punctuates how awful this is. That's yeah, terrible. I mean, really terrible. You know, the body would have been enough. Again, again, nowadays, they'd have to show all that. Yeah, of course. Because we, we uh, uh, evidently, shots, we, right? Yeah, evidently, we can't put that together anymore. We, no. <laughs> no. Now, Herd reminds me, you know, of this wounded, um, like a wounded animal at times. Um like he looks a lot to me like um great young actor who died too soon heath ledger yeah a little bit in this so he's reminding like, me of that he's like a cornered possum you know he is like a cornered possum like you know a possum won't fuck with anybody but the minute he gets mad enough and gets cornered he's gonna fuck or with everybody or thinks he's cornered yeah 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 there, yeah well that's probably right. a better example yeah because possums typically 
they get into a situation where they walk down the wrong way and they're you, motherfuckers are defensive. Yeah, they get they get really upset really quick, man. They're like Dude. fucking they're like social justice warriors. <laughs> they, they, they need to go jerk off or something. I'm talking about possums. I, I don't want to get into the whole <laughs> yeah. social justice warrior thing. Uh, oh. But possums need to go. They need to follow Clarence Carter's advice, man. That's what they need to do. Be stroking. Um, stroking. <laughs> um, oh, shit, man. Was there a line in this? We have probably Maybe. we've probably turned off some of our longtime listeners today by accident, and uh, you know if so, then uh, you know grow. I'll say this: grow a set, man. Get it, get there over you go. it. <laughs> or go, go. Or you follow Clarence Carter's advice. Yeah, stroke yeah. it. Yeah, stroke it, man. Just go in. Yeah. Turn to pause <laughs> us or keep us on. I don't care. Yeah, boy. Yeah. And just Let, and stroke. Just, it. just, just squeeze. Just, <laughs> Stroke it. You give it a little twist at the tip. Yeah. Just don't send us any, or maybe send us tribute photos. Yeah. Ooh. Well. Yeah. Uh, maybe I don't know. Maybe I'd have to maybe, some explaining to do. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe some during photos. No afters, please. I don't need. I don't need the money shots for my friends. Yeah, the, the puddles, man. Yeah. I don't want to see my friends' money shots. No. <laughs> um, no, it's true. Actually, I don't um, even know what I'm saying. I don't want to see you jerking off either. Don't send me any of that shit. <laughs> no. If you want to, that's cool. But, you know, yeah. we don't need to know. Yeah, I'm a pretty open-minded guy. But even then, I'd be like, okay. You know, I don't I don't know how to, what I'm supposed to do with this. <laughs> I mean, I'm very open-minded. Don't get me wrong. Photos. What a ridiculous um, <laughs> phenomenon those are. Um, yeah. Uh, hurt, man. I just derailed myself so bad talking about tribute photos. John Hurd turns on a dime emotionally. It's almost like a million-esque thing. Like that scene you were talking about when he pulls the veteran card. Oh, yeah, yeah. He really turns on a dime, right? He yeah. knows how to navigate the social waters. Yeah, because he's, um, he's shit-faced. He comes home shit-faced, but he manages yeah. to turn off the the shit-facedness uh, to, to turn it right back on to the sympathy, and it's pretty amazing. It's true. Uh, he challenges us to really hate him. I think there's a lot of self-loathing going on there for, again, what he's done and what he's seen and maybe his lot in life, and he really challenges us to hate him. Yeah, uh, complicated character. And like you said, I love, this is one of the things I love about adult film is we can, we don't need to like our protagonists. Yeah. Now, it's nice I love, sometimes. I love, I love that you call it an adult film because that's what this is. This is very much an adult film. This is a movie for grown-ups. This is a movie for it, people yeah. who are mature. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Bones got a great nickname in this, the fastest dick on the beach. Except, for the, says except for the Richard Bones stuff and the fastest dick on the beach. That stuff's very immature, but hey. <laughs> yeah, but it's still, it's good. Uh, speaking of Bone, man, Bone's got a killer wardrobe in this. Yeah, yeah. Some nice loafers, some nice sweaters. Yeah. It's good. You know what I would compare this to? I think it's kind of like, I don't even want to say a trilogy because there's a lot of films around this era, but... If you've never seen this, and I would say this might be the most minor of the three, but that's still no small feat. You look at something like Night Moves and Clute, the way they're kind of messy. Yeah. Neo-noirs. Yeah. Like, yeah right? I mean, they're very messy. I, I agree with you completely. As a matter of fact, so does Amazon, because Amazon's recommended Night Moves and Clute to me ever since no I rented way. this fucking thing. Are you yeah. serious? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Um, but, I mean, but, but I mean, that was... That was what was special about 70s filmmaking. I think some people just yeah. think about like the taxi drivers and, and, and the big heavy hitters, and all those films are very important. But I, I think that you got to remember there was a lot of smaller films being made, too, at this time that were very revel- relevant, very, very important movies that Absolutely. a lot of people don't talk about. And we've kind of overlooked that stuff because we've gotten so That's caught up in, in, in the spectacle. And, and, and I want to make sure I say this clearly again. 
I am not judging anybody out there that loves the spectacle of cinema. I get no. it. I, when I was growing up, I fucking loved, uh, you know, E.T. Well, well, which really, when you go back and look at E.T., it's very much a 70s film. Mm-hmm. Go back and look at E.T. For those of you who have not gone back and look at E.T., go back and look at E.T. and look how 70s that fucking movie is. It's all about characters. It's all about kids. It's all about growing and changing and coming to a point in your life where you realize things. It's 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 very much a very poignant film about childhood and the kind of loss of innocence of childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very, yeah. I mean, I was thinking about it because I think you watched it not too long ago and we kind of talked about it. Yeah, the Blu-ray looks great. No, my kids love it. They've seen it a couple times yeah. now. And it's funny that we used to consider that a kids' film because I, I there's a big portion of that movie that's very much relatable, much more to adults than the kids, right? I mean, I, I would say mm-hmm. there's a big chunk of it anyway. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Let me get back to what I'm saying, which is essentially that there was a lot of smaller films made like this. There's still a lot of smaller films that are made that are still poignant, still very well made. Uh, I'm not going to say Hollywood can't get it right. You know, I mean, it's easy for me to say that because I'm I'm armchair quarterback and I'm sitting back here. I get it. You know, do I want to see Guardians of the Galaxy 2? That's not the main thing I want to see. Will I see Guardians of the Galaxy 2? Yeah, I'm going to see it. Matter of fact, I'm going to buy it. I'm waiting for it to go on sale. I love it, yeah. Yeah. So Man, I'll tell you what. I still a, love that stuff, too. Dude, that father-son shit's going to put a lump in your throat. Yeah, I know. I know. That's why I've kind of put I've kind of, kind of put it off. But, you know, I mean, first of all, I like the first Guardians quite a bit. I thought it was very yep. good. Uh, I don't need to see this one to know I'm going to like it. Plus, it's got Kurt fucking Russell in it. I'm going to buy it just oh, on that. Uh, I mean, I'm just going to buy it on that regard anyway. Uh, you know what, man? And it's got it's got Tango and Cash. <laughs> yeah, it does, buddy. It does. And it's a messier film than the first, but it's more emotionally satisfying. It's Sweet. a shaggier dog. Yeah. I'll tell you what, man. The use of George Harrison's My Sweet Lord in this, like, makes me want to fucking cry. Oh, nice. Good song. Like, Good. it's, it's, it is a beautiful song, but Underra- it's, Underrated song, by the way. Underrated. George Harrison's underrated as a songwriter, but, yeah. Um, but, man, I'll tell you what, it puts a lump in my throat because of the, the use of that song. Not to <laughs> jump into Guardians, but, yeah, that's, man, it's, it's gonna we're, we're kind of all over the place this morning. But this is, what, this is what happens when we go three weeks without recording. <laughs> yeah, we start talking about so much shit. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, again, I love the dreamy feel of this film. I love broken, sort of drifting people. And this film, really, everyone's, a lot of the, our, our central characters are broken people in some way that are drifting through life and oh, yeah. looking to latch on to something. Yeah, and, yeah the closest but, you come to somebody who's kind of establishing himself is that we're kind of in the middle of Richard Bone trying to establish himself as a yacht salesman, kind of become his friend, kind of become the George Swanson character. Well, absolutely. and uh, But I think that this gives the characters a rallying cry and something to latch on to and to follow through on, mm-hmm. yep. right? To do the right thing. I think it's not ever, I don't think it's ever sort of explicitly said, but it gives the characters a purpose to do the right thing here and yeah. to stick yeah. it to the man at the same time. Yeah, I think that, you know, I think it's interesting. I think it is that way. I think it's, Bones' way to approach something that Cutter feels every day to stick Absolutely. it to stick it to the man to, to for the unfairness in life. I think Bone gets involved because he loves his friend. They probably grew up together. That he loves him, and there's some part of him that is Alex Cutter, right? Absolutely. So absolutely, that, it's very interesting. It's a very deep movie, man. I, I think uh, people should definitely go back and look at this thing because I think it's. Well, just like our first film, I think it's an American classic. Mm-hmm. We could actually call the show American Classics Volume One. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Not to not to kind of get into my thoughts on uh, Ed Wood, but I think we've kind of made our thoughts known on that a little bit here and there. Yeah, for sure. Let's let's get into Maker Breaks. All right. Yep. And we are running along here. Got about half an. I like to. I like to. You know, 
well, I'd like to tie one off after we get done. But I'd like to uh, <laughs> get done around 8 o'clock here. Uh, okay, my MVT. Man, this is a tough one. i tell you why it's tough. I haven't seen any other passers work, really. And John Hurt's so fucking good in the movie. So mm-hmm. I don't know where to go, but I'm I, I'm gonna go with my gut instinct and say that there's probably some other pretty good passer movies, and there's not a whole lot of, well, I, I don't say this to be facetious nor insulting. There's not a lot of John Hurt performances that I love. Uh, typically, he was always like I said, he was always somebody's dad or or something like that. Not that that's a bad thing. I think he served his purpose as a character actor greatly. Uh, he's actually really touching in Home Alone. When you go back and look at Home Alone, there's actually some really great scenes of him being very upset yep. about leaving his son, as you would be. Uh, oh man, <laughs> man! If, you, if yeah. you think about the reality of Home Alone in real life, wouldn't you be fucking, fucking panicking? Nightmare City, man! Forget the meatball head zombies. That's the real Nightmare City. <laughs> yeah, fuck, man! Can you imagine being in that scenario? Like, oh, he'll be fine. Like, bullshit, man! I'm gonna get a rent a fucking car. I'm gone. Buddy, I'm getting, believe me, I'm getting back there. <laughs> yeah. I just left a six year old boy or a seven year old boy by himself in the house, you know, again. With, with, the, with some criminal, like a, with like a crime spree going on in the neighborhood. Yeah. Those uh, uh, secretly known wet bandits, um, yeah. <laughs> which is also our nickname. That's uh, right. Different kind of wet. Um, no, uh, <laughs> I'm going to give it to Herd, man. It's just, it's a great performance. It, it's over the top, yet it's poignant. It's one of a kind. And uh, actors are lucky to have one of these performances in their lifetime. And again, this shows just the greatness of Jeff Bridges, that he can be in a scene with somebody that's really tearing it up, really chewing the scenery like a motherfucker. And he's so fucking good that he knows to just back off and, and let it wash over him. If you watch some of his reactions to some of the stuff Heard says, he's so fucking good at it, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, Steve McQueen levels of fucking reactive acting, you know, it's, it's he's so fucking good at it. So it's this, true. This movie is really well acted. It's really well written. It's really well directed. My favorite scene is the scene in the park. That's the make or break for me. A lot of great poignant stuff being said there. Um, I'll say that uh, my make or break for this film, I give this a nine of oh, solid nine. I think this is like I said, this is a fucking it's it's a it's a masterpiece in a lot of ways of 70s filmmaking. Oh, yeah. And I highly recommend it to anybody to check out, especially if you're into that and you've never seen uh, this type of filmmaking or you've seen this type of filmmaking and maybe you haven't seen this. Uh, You've seen Night Moves. You've seen Clute, two great examples. And check this out, man. This is is a fucking great movie. Yeah, absolutely. It's a favorite of mine. Um, Make or break scene. The opening, like I said, it doesn't really have a whole lot to do with it, but it, because it's sort of warbly, off-kilter, dreamy, something kind of foreboding, just off, and, you know, it really pulled me in. Um, MVT, I gotta go with Herd, man, I gotta give it up to Herd. Oh, fuck, there's so many good elements to this film, though. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, but this film, I really admired Herd in this, because I think it shows your ability to, much like... Um, in Martin to some degree, I mean, different complexities, but to um, really get behind a character and understand them warts and all. Um, and yeah, it's, he's tremendous in the film and he was the reason we picked the film because it was a tribute to him. So uh, I want to give it to him. Um, he earned it. And then finally my score is a, um, an 8.75, man. This is just a tremendous film and one of the most underlooked, overlooked, underappreciated films of the era. And I would have not seen it had Alyssa from the Big Red podcast 
not recommended it. Um, Alyssa, you didn't steer us wrong. You are always a woman of impeccable taste. So yes. thank you. Yes. It's always great to, you know, there's still so many films out there I haven't seen from this era of filmmaking. That, oh, gosh, yeah. Uh, that it's, it, it's amazing that you can still come across stuff, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm just looking through Passer's filmography, and I really want to check out Silver Bears. And uh, and, and Jeff Bridges, uh, there's a film he did right before this or something. That sounds fascinating uh, that I need to check out, but uh, I'll let people kind of dig around that. We won't talk about it anymore here. We're going to mm-hmm. take a short break, or do we want to take a break? Do we want to just keep rolling? Uh, want to keep rolling? Well, I mean, yeah, I'm good if you're good. No, I don't. Let's keep rolling. I'll just I don't need, uh, I don't need, I don't need water left. Yeah, and... I don't need anything to drink. I don't need to tinkle. I don't need to do anything else. <laughs> no, I, I can hold off. Okay, good. We're going to jump right into it then. And the reason being is obviously uh, in true GGTMC fashion. We are pinched for time, like Turk Cutter. Like uh, Turk Cutter, that's right. <laughs> Turk, Turk Cutter. Uh, any kind of any kind of cutter. All right, so our next film is Ed Wood, 1994. Now, the first thing I want to say about Ed Wood is, wow, I can't believe it came out in 1994. It makes me feel like, <laughs> where the fuck has time gone? <laughs> Man, for real. And uh, we'll kind of get into that. But, uh, yeah, 1994, again, another selection we made based on the lo- uh, loss of uh, Martin Landau. One of the uh, kind of great character actors and probably underrated actors, uh, but who puts in uh, a super powerhouse performance in this, uh, which isn't uh, dead on of Lugosi, more of a more of a tribute in a lot of ways. But in a lot of ways, but in in doing that, he almost nails it amazingly. So, mm-hmm. uh, his uh, <laughs> every time I watch this movie, I come away wanting to talk like Bella Lugosi all day. It's hey, great, Eddie. Can you come over? You know, this little, you know, little, this little moment like that, you know, I'm talking to my son. Yeah. I'm like, hey, but Bobby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, 1994, like I said, directed by one Tim Burton. Uh, some have argued maybe his masterpiece. Not my personal favorite Tim Burton film, because I, I like some of the Tim Burtonisms of some of his. Well, I'll just say some of his kind of fantasy type stuff. Not Beetlejuice so much. Probably probably Scissorhands is probably my favorite because to me it feels like the most the most uh, Burton-esque film with the uh, kind of suburban, the the solid painted houses, but yet the, the scary house up on the hill. And, yeah, absolutely. And, and Scissorhands character himself kind of being a representation of Tim Burton himself in a lot of ways. That's um, a beautiful film. I can't wait to show my kids that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a, it's a wonderful film. I think if people haven't seen Scissorhands, they need to go back and look at that. Or if you have seen it, go back and give it a revisit. It's very touching. Uh, he, beautiful movie. Burton might be my kids. I got my puppy. He came over. <laughs> He's here with me. He woke up, of course. Uh, nice. And uh, but I think Tim Burton might be their favorite filmmaker. At least that that you know we watched Mars Attacks recently, which I'll talk about in another episode. But yeah, this he, is he he. Well, I think he you know I think he has a sensibility that kids can really be attracted to. Uh, there is a wide a kind of an optimism and, a, and an outsider thing that um, I think we can all. Yeah. Um, he mixes both nostalgia and rebelliousness very well. He does. He and, does. Uh, I think when 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 it's said and done, when he's done working, uh, outside of his kind of big budget choices, uh, agreed. I think that uh, people will look back and say, "Wow, you know, he really mixed those two things together very well," and. Uh, and made some unique films in the process. So, Ed Wood, again, 1994, directed by him, starring Johnny Depp as the pivotal Ed Wood. Martin Landau as Bela Lugosi, our tribute, basically, in this episode. 
quite a few people. Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker and some of his regulars are in here as well. Uh, one of my favorite character actors is in here uh, playing Reverend Lemon. That'd be G.D. Spradling, who's always been like one of my favorite bad guy actors. Vincent D'Onofrio is in here as Orson Welles. He looks a lot like him in his youth, but obviously they kind of <laughs> they uh, overdid his voice, which is awkward because you know how Vince, you know how D'Onofrio talks, and uh, you can totally feel like that's not him talking. Bill Murray in here with a fun performance. Uh, really everybody in the movie George the Animal Steel with a great performance let's just throw that out there I love George the Animal Steel in this movie yeah that's right man he is good in the film yeah he's fun also I feel sorry for the actor that had to rub his back oh man that was fucking gross alright yeah Are, is he sitting there eating like a hell whole chicken <laughs> yeah he is Oof. <laughs> the movies I had to be the movies good lord uh, yeah but I don't know who wants to take the lead on this. Uh, this is, uh, you have said, you have stated, I don't know if it's a true statement or not, but I'm going on what I know, but I know you do like uh, quite a few Burton films. You have stated this is probably your favorite Burton. Um, so I'm, I don't know if I would say that, actually. Yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you... I'm gonna let you go this, on it, and also I'm okay. gonna let you go on it because I watched this on DVD. I own it on DVD. I don't. I never upgraded the Blu-ray. I just never have seen a sale I really liked or anything. Yeah. Because uh, I only really upgrade if if I see something like dirt cheap, and or if it's an absolute classic I want in HD. But uh, this is an absolute classic. But the DVD looks great, so I didn't really need any reason to upgrade yet. Uh, you watched this on Blu-ray. Uh, yeah, I got the blue on a Black Friday sale like three, four years ago. So, what was your experience like this time? Well, I've only ever seen this film twice. This was... Um, yeah, I've only ever seen it once, so this is only the second time I've seen it. Well, correct. Same with me. This was only the second time I ever saw it. Okay. Interesting. Um, interesting. And I'd only ever seen it like like maybe two years ago or something. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. I, man, I, it was just one that it eluded me. Oh, interesting. I didn't um, know. I didn't really... I didn't. I don't remember us talking about that. That's amazing. I didn't know that. Yeah, maybe I, that's, I, saw, I, I, I saw think where you got the favorite thing from because... Well, maybe that, and I think that... Well, I'm going to say forthright, this is my second favorite Tim Burton movie. <laughs> I don't know where this ranks, but I really like a lot of Tim Burton well, you know, stuff. You know, he works for me. Well, you know, you guys mentioned Mars Attacks. That's underrated. I like Mars Attacks. It's I think it's very fun, good. And it's got, it's got an, inc- an incredible yeah. cast. That's when people started I mean, shitting on him a little bit, and I think it's unfair. But it's crazy. Mars Attacks is so fun. Like, I mean, you have Jack Nicholson doing the... Um, uh, what's his name there? Peter uh, Peter Sellers kind of um, yeah. Doctor Strange love thing with nine roles and yeah, it's great. Um, I mean, fuck, two of his leads are um, Jim Brown and uh, Pam Greer, which should means everybody should respect Tim Burton. Yeah, I mean, he's got an amazing cast in that film, and I have a, and I've said this on there, and I think you've agreed. With me, I have a strange attraction to Lisa Marie as the Martian girl in that. Uh, I have a, a, I have just a natural attraction to Lisa Marie. Period. God, I love her. I love her in this too. Oh, oh my God, her body, her angular face, everything about her. She is amazing. I love her for sure. Um, okay, so this film, uh, yeah, I'd only seen it for the first time a couple years ago, and I think. Now, one of the things I like most about this film, especially now as I'm looking at his filmography, is I think a lot of times we, we deal with he's filming Dumbo. Can you believe that? Uh, yeah, I read about that. I didn't know if it went through or not, but it says filming, so I it's guess it did go through. Yeah, that's interesting. My kids, like I said, they love Frankenweenie. They love Miss Peregrine. Oh yeah, I like. They love us. By the way, yeah. I don't know if I said it. I think I well, we were definitely doing the show when I watched Frankenweenie, but man, I fucking bawled watching Frankenweenie. Man, that Frankenweenie is great. It is, and I, I know you haven't seen it, but I think Dark Shadows got shit on, and I think Dark Shadows is fucking one of the funniest movies I've seen in the last five years. I gotta watch it, man. I really do. 
Um, I know everybody had depth fatigue and a lot of other things, but I think Dark Shadows. Yeah. Right. And he's coming off Alice in Wonderland too, but I think it's it's and and I think that's where some of the depth fatigue came off of. But sure, because some people don't like uh, Alice in Wonderland, but I, I think me and you are both big fans of Alice in Wonderland. Absolutely, I was yeah. very pleasantly surprised. Not that I should have been pleasantly surprised. I should have known, but yeah. I, I like everything he's done. I like Sweeney Todd. I just he works for me, and I yeah. think he, the way he looks at his boyhood and he cherishes. Being a boy yeah. and being a child, yeah, he's a monster, he's a boy, he's a monster so he's not, kid, right? He's a monster kid. He's a monster like. kid, and you know, like Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I mean, it's incredible. It's like a Jacques Tati. I mean, it's incredible. If you go back and watch it now, it's incredible. It is. It's an incredible uh, movie. I agree. And, yeah, which makes so, me rethink my this being my second favorite Tim Burton film. I'm looking through his filmography. And this might be my third favorite Tim Burton film because I think Pee Wee's probably my second favorite. <laughs> and he's got a lot. Of, that's the thing. Like people, like you said, have fatigue on him. End up, and it's a shame because it's like when you hear a great song on the radio too much, you end up not yeah. liking it, and it's a shame because exactly. there's a lot to love. Yeah. Did, so, did you like? Uh, I don't know if we've ever talked this, but did you like? Did you see Big Fish? Did you like Big Fish? Man, I'll tell you what. Big Fish got me. Uh, got me pretty misty eyed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can't watch Big Fish. I love Big Fish, but I can't watch oh. it. I want to cry if I watch it with my kids, for sure. I, have, I watch it with my dad, a, so you know yeah. how that went. Oh, yeah, I can imagine how that went. I had a very difficult relationship with my dad, so Big Fish hit me hard. Oh, yeah, you get the sniffles in stereo, right? because yeah, so. I was very angry at my dad most of my life, and and I had a very similar experience to being with him when he died. Yeah. And um, it just it, it hits too close to home. So I haven't – I've only seen – I saw Big Fish in 2003. I haven't rewatched it. I haven't – I haven't had the courage to rewatch it either. Um uh, at one point, I will. Yeah, I know some people are kind of hot and cold on Big Fish, but again, I think it's a very Tim. Some people look at his stuff as being too sentimental, but you know what? I think that depends on the person because the sentimentality of people like Fellini and Malik and Burton that, that works because I'm a sentimental person. So I know. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, and the interesting thing with you, I think, is you aren't as you're more immune to sentimentality or what you feel is calculated sentimentality but i think when it's honest sentimentality it does work for you which with burton it does feel honest yeah with burton he is one of the filmmakers who when he he touches a sentimental bone in sammy yeah yeah it, it works when he touches my sentimental bone so your sentimental richard bone <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's my sentimental turk cutter Yes, yes. Yeah. Or maybe maybe my sensitive Turk cutter. You're sensitive, that's right. Um, this was an interesting film to shoot in black and white. I think it works well considering the era. It would have been yeah. interesting. Genius move. To, Genius move. Genius. Genius move. And I think it works well because Ed Wood being uh, sort of a low-rent filmmaker, yeah. it made sense to do black and white. You could have done color and done like the John uh, Waters kind of hairspray thing where it would look great, but the black and white works quite well. Yeah. So I'm going to throw uh, this out there, and I'm a, and pardon me, but I'm in a very talkative mood this morning. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's great, you know, obviously, I always, you know, sometimes I lament when we get up early in the morning, like, oh, i got to record this podcast. It can be like, feel like a bit of a work, but once we get going, I really get turned on. Me too, buddy, me too. Uh, and uh, so I'm going to throw this out there right now, because I think we've said it before probably over the last nine years or so. Ed Wood, easily not the worst filmmaker of all time. Oh, I know. It's insane to say you, that. You, if, like, you, if you if you live in the trenches that we live in, <laughs> Ed Wood is easily not the worst filmmaker of all time. Uh, he should be a he, hero. Yeah. I mean, that he became what he became is kind of baffling to me because even it's at lazy. His worst, I think it's lazy criticism, yeah. right? It becomes a the hive mentality. Yeah. Even at his worst, uh, and I, I do think some of his films, like Glenn or Glenda, that 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 is a terrible movie, but. <laughs> 
I think that I have seen probably worse movies than that every year of my life since I've seen Glenn or Glenda easily. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Uh, and uh, some of them with uh, that have gotten awards, attention, and everything. I mean, I just think some. some I, I think it's beauty's in the eye of the beholder, and I think. Yep. I think Plan Nine is is perfectly fine for what it is. Absolutely. Is it inept? Sure. But uh, it has heart. Yeah. It ha- it has. Yeah. It has something behind it, and yeah. and I thought that way before they made this movie. I want to. I want to make sure we clarify that. I used to see people all the time say Plan Nine is the worst movie of all time, and I finally got to watch it one time on like a Joe Bob Briggs like drive-in theater thing or something, like some TNT show. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm going to check out this Plan Nine. My mom and dad said it was the worst movie they ever saw. Blah blah blah, this and that. Everybody says it's the worst movie ever made. I watched it and I was like, you know, I got to be honest, it's hokey as fuck, but it's not the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> no man, that's ridiculous. Like you said, when you wade in the muck, like we wade in the muck. Yeah. It's but it's it becomes yeah very. Um, a knee-jerk thing from a hive mentality that yeah. it's just a quick. Well, it just became criticism. accepted, right? It came accepted. That's that right. Plan it became the worst movie ever fact um, to people, which is silly. Um, great cast, as always. You know, he does wonders with his cast, which we mentioned. Um, I really love the great sunny optimism that Depp displays as Wood. Yeah. I mean, you can't help but love that. Like, yeah, to it's a great performance. Be, it's 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 it, one of the great performances of. I mean, I think all time. It's it's a brilliant performance. It is a brilliant performance from a brilliant actor. I mean, you can say what you will about depth fatigue, but he really is one of the better actors of our generation. And he was always a guy that championed the outsider. Now, again, some people, he's become like, I don't want to say Bono because, you know, you can say what you will about Bono musically, but yeah, some early U2 came on the radio a few, I don't know, a few days ago. And I thought, well, you know, I'm trying to just listen to this as its own piece of music without the weight of, of, um, we all get fatigued. Yeah. 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 We all get fatigued on people's personalities. I think Deb's things are a combination of two things. One, he, he, he's went back to the well a few too many times with the the captain Jack character now, but you know, that, that, that character, you know, when, when I say that, and then I see him go to cancer hospitals as captain Jack, I remind myself that captain Jack's not for me. He's for kids. That's right. So I don't really have a problem with captain Jack. I mean, it is what it is. But, uh, I mean, I do believe he has gone back to the well too much. But also, obviously, some of his personal life's come out. And that, yeah. that's hurt him quite a bit, too. And I think a lot of people have turned on him quite a bit. Yeah, I agree. And it's, uh, you know, I don't want to get into that stuff. Clearly, you know, beyond, like you said, understanding maybe some of the um, yeah. the feeling people have. But um, I think at first you're kind of like, man, what's he going for here? But <laughs> because I think, but I think it's a genius decision to yeah. to play up the sunniness and the optimism of Wood. Because I think that's probably what was so infectious. Because people began believing yeah. that this guy would not be trampled on. It, it would be raining, and he would have a smile on his face and see sun in the sky. Yeah, from what I, I think, from what I understand of Ed Wood, he was pretty optimistic most of the time. Now, obviously, you'd have to be though. Yeah. I think in his, the great story about Ed Wood would be, and again, this isn't Paul Schrader's Ed Wood. That would be a different movie, right? Yeah, uh, that would be the dark side of Edward, to say the least. Yeah. We get the the optimism, and then we go down the, the you know the because you know Edward finished up his career sadly, uh, an alcoholic, uh, a disheveled mess. If you see any older pictures of Edward, actually, there's some older, there's some nudie flicks and stuff. I think he did in the seventies. Oh where man, he's in them and stuff, and he looks really rough. I mean, he looks well beyond his years. At this point, he'd lost. Uh, you know, he didn't have his teeth anyway, but he'd lost the probably the remainder of them. He's smoking. He was drinking heavily. Uh, ended up in you know the the soft porn world or the porn world, one or the other. But I mean, surely he he 
didn't intend to end up there. Uh, so obviously he went down some dark roads and there's some tragedy involved in here. But what I, I like that uh, Burton decides to tackle, again, I think that's the, the great word. I think that this film is easily one of the most optimistic movies I've ever seen. Like, Agreed. if you want to follow a dream, yeah, yeah. If you want to follow a dream, this is a great movie to kind of push you in that air, in that way, in that uh, kind of arena. Any mm-hmm. dream, any dream. You know, if you if somebody right. tells you you can't do something, then Ed Wood's a great inspirational film to watch. I think. I agree one hundred percent, and I think that finding comfort and solace and inspiration in the outsiders that you befriend, like there's people for everyone. There's someone for everyone, and that doesn't just mean romantically. I think it means the kindred spirits, the kinship, um, much like people. You know, not to overstate us. You know, but through our show and our community all of us have seen and found that kinship and that love with people that you know maybe some people feel like outsiders i've never felt like an outsider so much as someone who had better taste than some of the schmucks around me but you know it just i think that um you feel that connection i think that's the great thing about this too is is the the solace one can find in in good friendship um and when you believe in yourself and people believe in you um but uh, yeah, because in a lot of ways you think about it, I'm, I'm just sitting here thinking about it as you're speaking about it. We're we're kind of that optimistic Ed Wood in a lot of ways, just doing this podcast. Yeah. I mean, we champion you know the Fernando Baldi's films, we champion the you know the some the sometimes films that people don't champion, and we see the the optimism in those those pictures and those and those attempts at things. Uh, Bruno Mattei. And- yeah, I, I can never be the kind of critic. Let's put it this way: I'm. Even even though I don't like the Fast and Furious, well, I've only seen two Fast and Furious films, and even though I don't like them, yeah, I'm never the kind of guy that's going to pop up online and be like, I hate this fucking garbage. I, I just, oh man, I just don't see the what's the point in that. It's I agree. It's it's just it's reductive and it's what do you what do you what do you what is your yeah what does your statement mean? It means nothing. What does to it me. mean? And then like I said, it's become almost an Olympic sport to just just tear a film up as yeah. as savagely as you can, and that's just you know what. There's not enough time to celebrate the stuff we love. Never mind piss on the stuff we hate. Sure. I just don't. I mean, that becomes a very cyclical thing, almost like a lot of the news channels nowadays where people just want to rant and rave and piss them on. And if I don't like a film, I don't like it. And I want to say, man, this was disappointing. But I want to move on from that and find the next thing I'm going to love, not roll around the muck with the thing I hate. Yeah. You know, it's uh, very much so. But um, interestingly, this film, I think, was a critical darling as well, which um, the outsiders were being celebrated, right? And it gave, um, I think this film, well, Be- I mean, um, Beetlejuice was a commercial hit, Batman was a commercial hit, but it gave um, it gave Burton uh, even more kind of cachet in Hollywood and hardware. I think Landau won Best Supporting Actor. Uh, yes, yes, he did. Which uh, much deserved. Like he yeah. is on fire. Yeah, in this film, and, and you know, you could say was it an entirely accurate or maybe a little bit caricaturish or a little bit maybe. But he, I didn't see Martin Landau. Uh, I yeah, saw. That, yeah, that that's the thing. To me, I saw Bella Lugosi. I didn't see Martin Landau. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's just a tornado in this. He is. Um, I think Depp's the only thing. I think the only thing. I don't think uh, Depp got nominated, but I think if there was ever a miss, I think he. That was a miss. Yeah, that was a miss. Um, I can see great. why though. His performance is way over the top, and like I said, so optimistic, it's almost borders on comedy. So I can see why they may have not done that. But it's a great yeah. performance, like I said. So. Oh, it is great quote from uh, <laughs> Landau or um, Lugosi via Landau. 
Karloff doesn't deserve to smell my shit. <laughs> it's, 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 <laughs> it's one of the great lines, I tell you. That is amazing. Karloff does not uh, deserve to smell my shit. That's so good, man. It's so good. And I just, I love the message of family and love and acceptance. Like you said, steel is great. I'm trying to zip through my notes. Um, listen, uh, personal things aside, you know, I, I'd love to, uh, I loathe, um, Oh, man, I just I don't want to jump around this all day. I just want to say what I want to say. Looking strictly at performance, Jeffrey Jones puts in a good performance in this. Oh yeah, yeah. I think I know what you. Yeah, okay, I know. Yeah, what I know. You, what you, happened. You I, I want to, I want to yeah. choke him. I mean, frankly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, just be violent with him. But it's insane. I just want to look at the performance in this film. Great perform. Great little performance. Yeah. I mean, everyone just is on point in this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Everyone is on point. Yeah, Jeffrey um, Jones, obviously, you know, uh, we're not going to go into it here, but obviously if you want to look into the Jeffrey Jones thing, you can. But he, uh, uh, Burton, obviously has felt some allegiance. Yeah, yeah, he's used him often. He's obviously felt some allegiance to him. There must be something that Burton sees that obviously we don't see. So I won't judge any of that. All I will say is, you know, uh, you know, there, there's there's issues there. And uh, for some people, if, if that's your thing, then – you know, don't watch it. I, uh, I try to distance myself from that stuff, but I, I would be lying to you if I didn't think the minute he came on screen, <laughs> that was the first thing I thought of. Of course. No, yeah. same here, right? Because he's always going to be know. known as the principal from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right? Yep. And every time I see that movie or I hear somebody talk about that movie nowadays, you hear people say, yeah, but you know about that guy, don't you? Because it's, it's really kind of, it's really put a stain on a lot of stuff, uh, as yeah. that stuff tends to do. So, yeah. Yep. It's unfortunate, but. Yeah, he's good as Criswell. That's all I'll say. Yeah, absolutely, he is. He's fantastic as this charlatan of sorts. But the performance takes a turn because you think of him as a snake oil salesman, but you see that he's in Edward's corner, and it it's becomes an admirable thing where he's kind of in on it. He's it's like the the, the assembly of a team, like oh, the Danny Ocean, like yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, it's it really, really is. great. And it really is. Man. It's like the Dirty Dozen of filmmaking or something. Yeah. It's very it's no macho-ness, obviously, but the, you no know, macho-ness, but picking it's up just wonderful. The vampire character and Tor Johnson character, kind of uh, ne'er do wells. Uh, you know, back in the day, I don't think uh, there was a lot of wrestlers doing movies outside of Santo. Uh, that's right, so man. Tor Johnson was uh, one of the few first wrestlers to go across over. I mean, yep. He's kind of monster of a man. And then, of course, you got the uh, the Bunny character, the Bill Murray character, the Bunny Breckenridge, yep. which is a fascinating story in and of itself. But again, an outsider, somebody who possibly feels uh, lonely. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a great kind of moment where he talks about uh, getting a sex change in uh, yep. Mexico and that doesn't go through with him, and you can see it as comedy, but you can kind of also see it as heartbreak. And I think heartbreak, the, yeah. The real comedy comes from the fact that he brings a mariachi band back with him, which I do think that is funny. That was <laughs> funny, and you know, Bill Murray's got great timing, right? So oh, yeah, that's, you know, he's able to make it work. Yeah, there's uh, moments in where Bill Murray makes me laugh in this movie without saying a fucking word. He he does oh, that. He probably does that better than anybody. He can with just a look, right? Yeah, he can. Um, I think that. Um, I think that also, let me say this. I, I'm sorry yeah. to cut you off. I think probably no, the most no, no. poignant line in the movie, watching it this time, because I realize now watching it, it's really about the beginning of one's life, the end of another, and yeah. how those two things kind of collided for a little while and maybe inspired some things. And maybe, again, this isn't all reality. I think uh, Larry Karaziski. Kar- 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 oh, yeah, who's been on our show, actually. Yeah, he's actually been on our show, and yeah. Scott Alexander have all, both said that they don't, you know, there's not... 
you know, there's no guarantee that a lot of the stuff that happened was reality, but obviously Ed Wood did respect Bela Lugosi in that way that I think true film lovers respect actors, even when they have bad performance. I mean, like me and you, we respect George Eastman. I mean, we know George Eastman is, has shit the bed and quite a few things and he's made some truly got awful shit in his day. But I mean, you got to still respect the guy for being in there, but there's a great line uh, from Lugosi in here where he says, I'm just an ex-boogeyman. That's, uh, uh, I was going to say that, man. I have that written down. Yeah. That is a tremendous line. Yeah, that is a great line that they wrote. I mean, uh, that sadness, that uh, that wanting of popularity, that, that need for to be talked about. I mean, there's a great scene, too, where he said, "Bad press. there's no such thing as bad press when he's getting his picture taken at the rehab the hospital. Clinic. Yeah, the rehab thing, yeah. Which, if you ever go back and look at that real picture, it's very sad. Well, it is. And I think, you know, one of the, the great things about the Lugosi character is understanding how he must feel the but being the walking, talking butt of jokes and a caricature to a lot of people. Um, and your star falls. And that's a cruel thing, right? It, and, yeah, but, uh, but an inevitable thing. I mean, I, I ine- just, inevitable. Absolutely. I think if it's like life, right? Yeah, I think if you're a public figure or anything, I think at some point, I mean, you know, you're going to reach your apex. Mm-hmm. And without fail, you're going to falter. It just it just happens. It happens to everybody. I really it's, can't think of anybody except if they passed away unexpectedly. I can't really think of anybody that doesn't fall. It's inevitable. There's not too many that could cash their check uh, from wire to wire without a bit of a fall from grace for the most part. Not too many. The exceptions I, are there, but yeah, not too many. I, I think like Day Lewis. I think like he's smart. Like he's basically yeah, said he's, he's retired. Out while he's, yeah, I think he's doing he, the Jim Brown thing where he's getting out while he's still and yeah. on top of his game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This will this will be the only show on the on the the internet where we compare Daniel Day Lewis and Jim Brown. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> there you uh, go, Mike. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying, there you go. I, and, I, <laughs> and I think both of them are wonderful actors. There you go. They are. They are, man. And Burton's used both. Um, wow, he has, hasn't he? Yep, sure has. Huh. Oh, no, he hasn't used Daniel Day-Lewis. Uh, no, I was, has, he? has he? I don't know. I'm going I'm going to go look now. So I was blowing smoke up everyone's ass on that one. I thought, ooh, that's a bit of a reach. He's but he used Jim Brown. Yeah, you're blowing up my cutter there, bro. Blowing up your, your cutter. Um <laughs> You know, speaking of uh, blowing up cutters, you know whose cutter is on point in this? <laughs> Besides uh, Lisa Marie's, uh, from an acting standpoint, that was an awkward transition. Um, Sarah Jessica Parker puts in a great performance, and she's someone I don't always like, but yeah. she's great in the film, yeah. and our so, kid's great. In the so film. There, here's a here's a dirty little secret I'm going to get out. Okay, I know that uh, some of you guys, a good portion of the guys that are in the admin group and everything else, I know there's a portion of you guys that don't find. Are very attractive. Uh, I kind of, I, I always did, but yeah. And then, you know, there's a there's a nickname for her out there. We've all kind of used it off yeah, and on. Sure, sure. As a matter of fact, I think the nickname comes from this movie because uh, they actually call her that in this movie. Or it's just Tim Burton being relevant and her kind of attacking the joke itself. Yep. Um, but uh, I will say that I I loved her when I was younger, uh, mm-hmm. not as an actress, but I just thought she was. I just I don't know. I was terribly attracted to her. No, so was I, man. But then when she did the section of the thing, I thought, man, yeah, fuck well, I, off. yeah, I don't like that stuff. I watched a bunch of that with my wife and stuff, and I never really cared for that. But uh, I can tell you that, yeah, like honeymoon in Vegas and back, mm-hmm. like I, I was, I was quite the fan. No, I was as was I. It's so strange. We were, yeah, really are uh, kindred spirits, man. There's that, there's that scene in Honeymoon in Vegas uh, where the camera rolls up to her in a bikini getting out of the swimming pool and uh, dollars to donuts. I love that scene quite a bit. Oh yeah, she can rock a black bikini like nobody's business back then. 
Yeah, no, it's true. And Arquette's great in the film too, Patricia Arquette. Oh, yeah, she's got a good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's great. I mean, again, it's uniformly great, man. Um, comedic timing's great. This scene with some plates, plate throwing, that's edited quite well with humor. Yeah. Um, uh, what do we got here? I just, you know, the thing of the long suffering outsiders, and I love I the really scene like where Lagosi uh, discusses that the kid grabbed vampires' titties. Yes, that's great. He, does he, say, does he say boobies or does he say titties? I can't. Remember. I think he says boobies. Uh, I want to say he said titties, but I can't remember. Either way, titties, boobies, those are great words. I love when he says, God damn, it's cold. <laughs> it gets in the water. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's amazing, man. It's, you know, interesting to do a podcast talking about Bella turned down Frankenstein, Richard Harrison, not Richard Harrison, Richard Harrison, no, Richard, um, oh man, uh, Godfrey Ho there. Richard Harrison? No. Yeah. Richard Harrison. Yeah, Richard Harrison. Turned turn down or was considered for Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Yeah. So it's interesting, some of this stuff. I really, you know, this is, I'm, I'm just going to come out and say it. You know, I love everyone in the film. I love um, yeah, it's perfect everything about this right? film. Yeah. But the MVT for me, and I just want to mention it now, is the relationship between um, Bella and Ed. Yeah. I, well, it's funny. Again, we're on the same book uh, book page, whatever you want to call it, as we always are. I couldn't come up with an MVT for this movie, so I just put down Depp and Landau and slash relationship because it's uh, it's really about it's really about that 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 special friendship and what friendship, friendship can mean yeah. with somebody and, and, and not a not a not a not a sexual friendship obviously not a relation not a love not, well there, no it is a love, love and a different, it's like that article you posted a few weeks ago man yeah yeah there's just this there's a special bond and it starts yep. out as admiration. And it turns to uh, to this love that's uh, that's really genuine, and you really feel for Ed and uh, and even the rest of his folks when Bella passes away in the film, which is not a spoiler. So no, no, it's <laughs> no. Yeah. And it, it, the thing that's incredible is the love, and you know, Ed just despite limited resources, not just financially, but I mean, he pulls out every stop for the people in his life and for his passion, and it's such an admirable thing. Um, he should be seen as a hero. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, you talk to kids about, like you said, perseverance, um, being a loyal friend. I mean, it's just incredible stuff. Um, and obviously we should say the Orson Welles moment in real life didn't happen. That was a, that was a fictional thing, but it's, it's, it's a great fiction. It's a fantastic scene. And I love (laughs) D'Onofrio as Wells, man. It's, it, it is a good scene. It's a really good scene. Um, well, just the camaraderie. I I think the, I think the thing about the Wells scene that works is, uh, Wells spent his whole life after Kane trying to get back the power he had. So yeah, he was able to absolutely. successfully make a career out of it where Ed Wood was always just trying to get there to begin with. That's so right. It's great to see him, even though it didn't really happen, it's great to see him talk to one of his heroes and 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 take away from that. Because the truth and reality is, if you've ever seen interviews with Orson Welles, he wasn't always optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. So, um, you know what I really love about this film too. I mean, aesthetically, I love. I've always loved Burton. This has been something we've talked about. I love Burton's kind of, I would say Rockwellian, but it's kind of like Rockwellian and Burton. Burtonian. Yeah, yeah he's Burton almost Musk. he's almost got his own sensibility of suburban America. He's an auteur, right? And yeah. this America Americana, his Americana with carnivals and haunted houses and snake charmers. Like, I really love that stuff, man. Yeah, it, there's, it, it, there's it's a, beautiful. There's an innocence. Uh, it's almost like that 50s innocence mixed yeah. in with the kind of atomic age, uh, yep. you know, bug movies, things like that. 
and it, it kind of is kind of that stuff's kind of reflecting onto his kind of idea of what suburban America is like. And I've always loved his his view of suburb his suburban America. I would love to live in. Oh yeah, it is wonderful. Yep, it really is wonderful. Um, uh, what else do we say here? I kind of like what did I say? I kind of like his version of spiritual. Oh, I don't know what I was going for there. Um, man, Steve, Georgie almost still really sells that bump he takes, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's it gets intense when they're leaving the theater. It's almost like like the AC Turnbulls, man. Like, shit gets real, <laughs> and they got to split. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, very funny, but it's good stuff. By, uh, by the way, I got to say, I got so much OCD, man. If I had a convertible and it started raining, I'd be flipping the fuck out. Uh, so would I. Yeah. So would I. Man. I would be flipping the fuck out. I mean, that, that kind of water damage you never can repair. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true, buddy. It's very true. I love some of the postscript. Like at the end, the film says this film is for Bella. And it puts a lump in your throat, man. Yeah. Really does. I mean, because it's Bert making it for yeah. several heroes of his. He's the great example. He's one of the great examples of Hollywood using an actor for what he's worth. Yeah. And then not being able to use him anymore. So they just kind of throw him into shit. That's right. And uh, I think that, you know, that still happens to this day. We still we still pigeonhole our actors. And, and you know, in, in some defense, I will say it was going to be hard for Lugosi to ever overcome the Dracula image. It's just it's, oh, yeah. it's too iconic. Yeah. And no, it's, very true. it's the same thing with Karloff. And, and it, 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 some of these guys, it's almost impossible to get past. Uh, what they become. I mean, they're, they're still, this still happens to this day. I think, I think you still have actors who will always be, uh, probably the, that, that one character that pushed them into Superman. Well, Christopher Reeves, right? I mean, yeah, he'll always be Superman. Yeah. You always, you always are going to have that. I'm trying to think of one recently, but I'm having a hard time pulling one up in my head recently, but I, I feel like, um, well, I think like, uh, Hayden Christian, who's a good actor, I think his career. I think his career has been ruined by Star Wars. Well, I agree. He'll always I, be Anakin Skywalker now, no matter what. And I think Mark Hamill, who's a good actor, yeah. Well, even though he's obviously he's important again now because they're making Star Wars movies, but his whole fucking career was ruined because of Star Wars in a lot of ways. His whole acting career. He'll never. He'd all, he's always going to be Luke Skywalker. Always. Robert Pattinson, only because of how tremendously skilled he is and what a keen eye he has. Mm-hmm for filmmakers is going to be able to overcome the twilight stuff, but he's always going to be that twilight guy to some. Yeah. 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 It's, 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 it's true. I mean, those are huge movies. Jennifer Lawrence is always going to be the, uh, the Katniss character to some people always. Absolutely. No matter what she does, no matter if she wins an Oscar five more times, no matter if she's in, some people are saying she's the next Meryl, whatever. She's always going to be Katniss to a huge part of the population because that's, that's what we, that's how we as human beings relate to things. So, it's true. No, it's very true. Uh, final things I'm saying: the optimism in the rain, sort of a literal, um, a literal, like a visual. Um, visually, we get that it's very literal, but it's also certainly um, metaphorical or figurative, certainly. Um, and I love at the end; it does say about Bella. He outsold Karloff by a significant margin. Yeah. I got nothing against Karloff. I love Karloff. Frankly, if I yeah. had to pick, I'd probably like Karloff more. But this film does a lot to really make you love Bella, and yeah. you know. I think Car- um, I think Karloff was the just to throw this out there. I think he was the better actor when it came to you know performing. Karloff, yeah. oh yeah, Karloff was. Yeah. he was a good actor. But I don't think he looked as good on film no. as Bella did. Bella was no, no. That's a stri- that I tell you what, you go back and look at Bella in his prime. That is a striking looking motherfucker. 
It's true, man. He was uh, Very true. one handsome devil, but the camera really fucking loved him. You know what? It would have been amazing if he had have been born maybe 40 years later and you'd see him like rocking an amulet with like a butterfly collar shirt at Studio 54. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, he would have been partying hard. Yeah, sure. He'd probably um, be in, uh, both those guys would probably be in Coen Brother movies now, though, because they have those kind yeah. of faces, you know. Like yeah. Lugosi's like Coen Brother handsome, and uh, Karloff just has a, especially as he got older, he just had a very Coen Brother esque kind of face, and of course he had that kind of natural lisp. Uh, if you've ever yeah. heard him talk, he's kind of had that natural lisp and stuff, and so. No, it's it's really great, man, and I love the final thing when they said Jeffrey, which uh, Jeffrey Jones, I can't remember what is Criswell. Criswell continued to make highly inaccurate predictions until 1982. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, that was fantastic. That is the that is the sense of humor this movie has. I fucking love that. <laughs> yeah, no, me too. This like Sammy and Will continued to have uh, debates on turd cutters on uh, yeah. the GGTMC podcast for 20 more years to come. Yeah, it's true, man. <laughs> with a freeze frame, of, with a freeze frame of us smiling. Hey, yeah, with that mustache picture with you holding the fucking torch. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, that came up the other day on my memories. One of my favorite photos of yeah. me ever. If when I die and they make sort of a mural that they as they do, if I want that, that has to be very prominently displayed yeah. because that captures a moment in time and captures our, I think our friendship and everything just yeah. perfectly. It's a special moment to me, but what I'll always remember about that, and I think I've told you this a bunch of we I have, I've discussed it on the show even. I had an enormous toothache. Yes, and you did any, that apple. Um, yeah, and we did that apple, oh, those God. apple whiskey shots, those apple moonshine shots, and I was just like dying. And that was actually the it was either the night before or the night after. I can't remember which one it was. It might have been the night before that party, or maybe it was before that party. I, I I can't remember. But what I do remember is when we were taking that picture, I was like, oh, that's that's awesome. What a great picture. And I'm bending the hell out of this tiki torch. Yes. Which now, by the way, now tiki torches have a uh, a different connotation. Yeah, yeah. And if you buy them, by the way, I actually saw somebody in a hardware store buying tiki torches for their deck, and somebody giving them hell for it. Oh yeah. That's the world we live in now. Somebody bought tiki torches, and somebody called them a supremacist. And That's like, ridiculous, man. He could have been having a Hawaiian party. <laughs> yeah, I know, dude. You don't have to tell so me. Ridiculous. That's the world we live in now. You can't even buy a tiki torch without being judged. Anyway, and then no, of course nobody felt bad for the Polynesian people. We probably ran over for years, and we stole, no. we, you know, appropriating their their culture, culture and, and shit all over that. Hey, not, that's not a big deal, but now it's a big deal. Yeah. Sure. Again, no, I'll no. say, just shut the fuck up. Yep. Um, the other, uh, the other thing about that picture, like I said, yeah, I had uh, even though I was having a great time that night, I, there, I did share a picture of uh, uh, me and you, I think, and Dusty and Justin and Zom. All standing yes. together in those kind of wild bunch photos we always kind of take together, and uh, or maybe Magnificent Seven, however you want to look at it, and you know, with arms around each other and stuff. And they're always touching Fuck to me. Yeah. And I remember thinking then, too, it was like, God, if these guys only fucking knew how bad my tooth hurts right now. Oh, man. Because I couldn't clench my teeth. I couldn't do hardly anything. And it was just fucking, I was chewing aspirin like a motherfucker. I was going nuts. That's a horrible feeling. And it's so pervasive it just it seeps into everything you're doing yep everything it was waking me up when i was staying sleeping in the hotels everything i got to fix shortly right. after but that's what i always remember about that horror hound other than the fact that it was just great all right uh let's get into well i don't really, i don't really have anything to add here's what i'll say so i kind of threw this out there because i don't typically throw this kind of stuff out there on the group but every now and then because i'm not on the group as much as i used to and the group's kind of taking on a life of its own and we thank all of you guys for making it what it is and I thought it was kind of funny. It, about once every two or three, four months, maybe even six months, we always get a post about it. I didn't even know there was a podcast attached to this group. And I'm yeah. like, yeah. I always kind of laugh at that because I'm always like, yeah, well, you know, that's kind of how it started. But it doesn't matter that there is. If you don't listen to it, I don't care. Just as long as you got a place to go, 
to uh, be a part of a group that you enjoy being a part of. People who share likenesses and and appreciate, you know, Boris Karloff cinema or Ed Wood cinema or whatever you want to say. But uh, so I never take offense to that at all. I know some people have asked me if it ever offends me if uh, people come to the group and they're like, "Oh, I didn't even know there was a podcast." I'm like, "No, it doesn't really." I I mean. I'm just happy they got a place to go. Maybe I agree. I agree 100. percent and, and thank God for our friends slash admin slash handsome police that keep the ball rolling, man. Yeah, yeah. But the uh, the truth is, I threw it out there that the DVD looked pretty great. Now I watched it on a 4K TV, and I watched it uh, with a really nice Blu-ray player, an Xbox One S, which has a 4K player capability. Nice. But the film, the film looks great on dvd so i kind of threw it out there and i know it looks great on blue some people told me it looks great on blue what i was curious though was if the scratches and the pops and the like cigarette burns and stuff were still there because i i never read anywhere that that was done on purpose that kind of like uh, robert rodriguez kind of grindhouse aging type thing mm-hmm. i never read if that was done anywhere but i almost feel like even if it wasn't i know that they shot it on true black and white film so I know that there was worries from the studio that it could get damaged easily, and I wonder if some of that damage just kind of made it in, and Burton probably just argued to keep it in and stuff. But did you notice any scratches, pops, uh, no. little blurs or anything on the Blu-ray? So I guess they did clean it up a little bit. They must have, yeah. Interesting. Well, that'll 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 make me never get rid of my DVD then. And I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll probably still buy a high-def copy, but I'll just hang on to my DVD because some DVDs I've hung on to over the years because of special features or whatnot. I can't say that I noticed it. I mean, I'd say it wasn't there. Someone's gonna go, "You fucking liar!" Uh, you it was would, there, but would, I don't. You would have noticed it, dude. I'm, I'm telling you, you're you're enough. You're savvy enough, movie watcher. You would have noticed it. That's why I threw it out there because I wanted to see if anybody else did. But because uh, you know, we got savvy people in our group. It's not like we, oh, yeah. we have a bunch of yahoos just watch a movie randomly. I mean, we got people who love movies in there. So I threw it out there because I wanted to see if anybody else had noticed it. But I remember noticing it at the movie theater too. But back then, they still showed movies on film, which makes me sound like an ancient old bastard. But Back then, they still showed Ed Wood on film. I can still hear, remember the click, you know, the rolling of the reels or whatever. And uh, it was scratched up much more than this because, you know, mm-hmm. film takes damage over time. Yeah, I, I don't really have much more to add, man. I love the movie. Uh, Burton's underrated. Uh, probably will always gotcha. be underrated. And uh, this movie made me feel good. Even though it when- is, there's a tragic tale here, it does still, at the end of it, I came out smiling. So. Oh man, let me tell you something. You know, I have been, you and I have championed Burton for years. Not that like, you know, he's some Mexican filmmaker that's under the radar, but because of sort of the backlash and I'll always maintain that I love him and I'll always maintain that when we look at his filmography as a filmmaker, um, he can run with most sort of genre or filmmakers um, of his era. Like, I, I mean, look at the body of work he has. Okay, so you know, you go back to Wee's Big Adventure, Beetlejuice, Batman and Scissor Hands, Batman Returns, Ed Wood, Mars Attacks, Sleepy Hollow, Okay, Planet of the Apes, I'm fine with, but whatever. Big Fish, yeah, Corpse Bride. I should say I'm fine with his Planet of the Apes, too. It doesn't bother yeah, me. Yeah, it's like fine. It. Sweeney Todd. Don't uh, love it, but I do like it. I mean, he's got... Here's what I will say, and this is going to be blasphemy for most. I, I like his Planet of the Apes more than I've liked the other two. The other, well, I haven't seen the third, but other than that, I don't like all the CG in the other Planet of the Apes movies. I'm probably going to watch those with my kids at the suggestion of our friend Paul. Um, I've only seen his Planet of the Apes in the theaters, and at the time I hadn't seen the original, so I wasn't a slave to mm-hmm. 
that. Yeah. So I'd be curious to know to go and see because I really, really don't like Mark Wahlberg. So that might be the one sticking point. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. really I, don't I, like I, him. I, like he's, he's actually, I don't um, like him in that movie. I don't like him at all in that movie. I don't really like him either that much. I, I hate him, and I think he's the one person that. Like he's um, poison for me. I just won't watch a film if he's in yeah, it, man. Yeah, I'll still watch him, but I don't. I don't care for. And I used to like him. him. Yeah, I don't care for him. I mean, he's fine, but he's yeah. just such a dickhead. Would I, would I sit down and have a drink with the guy? No, no, no. But anyway, he's, a, he's, he's the up. definition of a putz. Yeah, he's definition a of a definition of a asshole. <laughs> yeah, and I don't mean any disrespect. We have friends in Boston. Some of the best. People in our community are from Boston yeah. and Massachusetts, um, and it's a great state, and I want to get there, but he is a fucking, you know, with all due respect, he's what I consider to be a masshole. Yeah. The stereotype, yeah. right? Yeah. But enough about massholes. This is about Burton, <laughs> not Wahlberg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, he, yeah, that's probably my only real problem with his apes film. I like, I like all the practical makeup, though, and Tim Roth and... Uh, Michael Clark Duncan and Paul Giamatti are amazing in that film, and Lisa Marie. And oh man, oh I, man, I love uh, I love all the uh, not Lisa Marie, Helena Bottom Carter, I think in that one. But Lisa Marie, she might be in that movie though. I think she is in it at some point. Yeah, she is. She's in there. Uh, anyway, uh, I, I like the practical makeup more. I, I again, maybe it just shows my age, but when I, I'm just not a big. I'm not a big lover of full CG characters. I like them in bits and pieces. I just when they when they hold complete scenes in real life, I just get taken out all the time. I'm always looking for the fuck ups. So no, I hear you. This might be my age. The mechanics it of it, no, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with it. It does look amazing. I should say I've seen one of those Planet of the Apes movies, and the fucking special effects are pretty amazing. Pretty seamless. I was talking to my kids about the evolution of CGI blood recently. Yeah. Because I did something I thought I'd never do, which I'll talk about in the next episode, but. They wrote me into watching Alien. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And the first three Child's Plays, which they get very sweary for my tastes, but yeah, those Child's um, Plays are a bit potty mouthed. Man, they are. Um, but it was good for them in a way, in retrospect, because it was well, it's a Brad, child protagonist. Brad Dorf, Brad Dorf kind of doing a Freddy Krueger, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's you know child protagonist, and I mean to some degree, and it's a doll. So you know, is but child, is child? Did you watch? You watch the third one? Then is that? The uh, yeah, one? it's is pretty that, good. Is that the military academy yes. one? Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, it's solid. The second so one's seen, pretty fun. It's so got I've a seen, great finale. I didn't know if I've seen that one or not. I've pretty much seen every Chucky film except maybe the last couple. Certainly the last one. But um, I remember liking that trilogy overall, even though they're not, you know, they're not the greatest films in the world. But I remember quite uh, enjoying them. I can tell you something. I'd never seen past part two, mm -hmm. so now they're showing me stuff. Uh, there's so much I want to talk. I, I never thought we'd be watching child play movies. My one son's six, one is eight. Yeah. But, you know, it. I guess it goes to show you, like you and I speak about, sometimes being self-righteous, you got to give pause. Right. And, yeah. And, and think about. Dude, I never thought I'd be watching. I never thought I'd be watching professional wrestling with my son. There you go. I had no fucking idea that was coming. Now, do I do I. At moments, do I cringe? Yes. Sure. Uh, do I want him to be a professional wrestler like he wants to be? No. Well, that's but, yeah. But at the same time, if that's his dream, then I'm I'd be a shithead to shit on it. Well, that's right, and it's like you know, my son was sports. Uh, my older son, it's like, and then you start worrying about CT. And then just this can of worms, man. Fucking it parenthood. Is, <laughs> it is. It's a can of worms. I mean, but at the same time, you want them to have the happiest life they want possible, and if that's what floats their boat. 
Uh, that's a fire in their, their yeah who are you, know, you who are you to make i mean even if as a parent who are you to diminish somebody's dreams you should never do that well that's right and luckily which i think comes I just, in i think comes into play with like this film i mean i think at this point you talk we're having is we're, you know who who are we to shit on ed wood and say he's the worst filmmaker of all time we're nobodies i mean he fucking we've never had the courage he fucking did to make a film yeah he, fucking he stuck did. his neck out and made a film a lot of people don't have the courage and i always tell our friends sorry sammy to cut you off, our friends that have the courage to quote unquote fight the good fight, they have the courage and the bravery to do something with their passion that we kind of do it as a distance with yeah. this little film criticism thing. But good on any of our friends that get out there and make short films, or you know, yeah. our friends like Brian who do motivational stuff and tie it in with filming. Good on them and bravo to them because they're they have the courage and the bravery to do that stuff. Yeah, all of our friends, you know who you are. Those guys that have jumped out there and done those things, I admire you because that's what I always wanted to do. Yeah, and I will say this: I admire you greatly. Oh uh, man, whatever our differences are in other ways and shapes and forms, uh, I will say that I admire you, and uh, more power to you. I hope it's successful. Not even, I mean, we we got very close friends in the podcast community that are out sticking their neck out there nowadays. So, more power to you, man. Yeah, heroes of ours. Mm-hmm. Let it be known. All right, uh, let's get into maker breaks. I don't really have anything else to add to this. Uh, go ahead and give me your maker break. Well, you've already gave me your MVT. So, what's your maker breaker score for this? My maker break is the scene at the theater. I could go with so many scenes, but that's <laughs> when like they feel like they're. It's like the scene in the warehouse when all of our team have their backs against each other, yeah. like back to back, and they're kind of battling their way out of it. There's fucking shithead kids grabbing titties and throwing popcorn and yeah. oh, all this oh, stuff. Oh, to be that kid though. Oh man. Oh man, tell me about it. Man, I just love her in this. I love. Oh, God. I love her too, bud. I do. I was Google oh, searching. Like mother, I was looking at a lot of images of Lisa Marie while I was watching this movie. <laughs> it's crazy. It's funny. We were watching Mars Attacks, and when she's like, and that, my wife goes, "Is that Natalie Portman?" No. And I said, "No," <laughs> but it's ironic because she's in the movie as a kid, right? Yeah, and yeah, that is. I've, I've totally forgot she's in that. Yeah. Yeah, well, for I need, sure. I need to go but, back uh, and watch that. I need to go back. It's and watch fun. That. It's it's definitely fun, man. Um, so make a break. I could go with it. no, but I almost want to go with one of the scenes with with um, Bella and Ed. It's just, I mean, they're really, really God. Yeah. I, but I don't want to give everything to them, right? Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, know. I can tell you forthright. My favorite scene in the movie is the scene where I think they're watching. I think they're watching White Zombie, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's just Bella and Ed on the couch, and they're watching White Zombie. Mm-hmm. And uh, which is not a great movie, but it has a uh, it has that uh, that great Bella Lugosi stare scene in it where we're zooming in on yeah. it close. <laughs> yeah, and, no, absolutely, man. Uh, my score, I'm going to go nine point two five. I think this film is is nice, incredible. Nice. Wow, I didn't expect you to go that high. Nice. I mean, yeah, I just I I think you know you like okay, we're going to talk about Stalker in a few weeks, right? Or we can talk about Come and See. Like it's a nine nine point two five. In its own way, like, it's not okay. It's not stalker or come and see or um, great silence, but it just—I don't know, man. It, it's such a wonderful film. I think it works for me as a grown-up the way Disney films work on kids, where it, it's got that magic and that optimism that allows you to believe the world is and can, what well, can be a great place. Well, yeah, yeah. You're surrounded by the right people. It's dealing with uh, something you love in a very optimistic way, which is film and art. Yes, and. Uh, it's showing you that you know you can overcome. I mean, it's just it it, it pushes our buttons, right? So absolutely. Uh, yeah, my MVT, like you said, basically essentially the same thing. And I, I kind of gave you the it's 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 a relationship between Depp and Landau. Uh, I could give it to Burton for other things, so but he yeah he is uh, truly um, a, a major part of this thing, and it's 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 a wonderful piece for him. Um, 
My Make or Break. I think I said that. Did I say Make or Break was that? Or MVT. But that was MVT. Make or Break yep. is, is uh, <laughs> like I said, that white zombie scene. I like how he talks about uh, vampires' uh, titties or boobies. Oh, she got great <laughs> boobies. Uh, which, you know, that that's what a couple of dudes sitting on a couch would probably say to each other, right? Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're all, we're, I mean, me and you sit on a couch and watch some stuff together. <laughs> we're, it's, it we've, is. we've ridden in a car to tiff together, and, you know, we, we, we'd be lying if we both didn't look out of the corner of our eye and see something and be like, did you just see that? <laughs> oh, I know, man. <laughs> I can remember I can remember us both looking at each other. I think there was one situation where we saw something, and uh, I'm not going to go into detail what it was, but I remember we both kind of made eye contact. So it was that, it's, that, <laughs> it's that dude moment you sometimes have yeah. that, you know, it's like, yep, 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 okay. <laughs> just making sure you saw what I saw. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, my score's a little lower than yours, and I... I, I, I I can't really. Let me say nine. Let me say nine. I was yeah, going to go back and say nine. It's still a little lower. I'm about eight point seven five, but I'm right there. I don't. I don't know what I. What I. I mean, I could easily say nine, right? But some of the some of the comedy bits uh, grind on. There's some. There's some secondary characters where some of the comedy kind of bothered me a little bit. Uh, it, it's a nitpick. This is a brilliant movie. Uh, it's almost perfect. Um, I recommend it. It's one of the best movies of the '90s. Period. Uh, the decade that we all kind of frown upon sometimes and everything else. This is one of the highlights of the 90s. And I think 30 years from now, it's going to be uh, considered one of the great films of all time, along with some of Burton's other work. And I think, uh, sadly, once Burton's probably gone or retired, I think people are going to look back on him and really appreciate him for what he did. I haven't seen I, – I saw Big I saw Big Eyes. That was the last one I saw. And i got to say, that's a better movie than people gave it credit for. I recommend people I check it out. Christoph Waltz, I wish he worked more. I think he's he's really good got in that the movie. chomps, man. Yeah, you know, he's really, really good in that movie. Uh, it's the second best performance I've ever seen from him. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. I'll I'll take his performance. Ooh, that's a bold statement I'm getting ready to make. I'll take his performance in Big Eyes over his performance in Django. Ooh, that is a bold. Now, not you're, over you're in gonna, You're going to hustle some people into seeing Big Eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I really liked him in Big Eyes. I think he he deals with some human frailty and some human elements that he nails with the facial, some things like jealousy and things like uh, this overall shittiness that some human beings have. He fucking mm-hmm. he fucking nails it in Big Eyes, man. He fucking nails it. Like he is, he's a fucking scumbag in that movie. So anyway, I gotta see it. Uh, and not the likable one, like he is the likable rogue, like he is in uh, Inglorious, right? Where you know that's right. We don't like him, but we like him, right? That's right, exactly. Um, my score is eight point seven five, just a little bit lower. And like again, I said, you know, it's it's a nitpick, but just some elements. And like, I, I felt the film was a little long in hindsight. I like the Criswell stuff, but I I didn't like coming back to it all the time. Uh, I kind of wish there was more stuff about Bunny and Ed's relationship because I feel like there's a personal connection there. Like Ed, he never wanted the sex change. And we didn't really talk about the cross-dressing elements of the movie and stuff because I don't think they're a big deal. I think in our modern times, this is you know, cross-dressing is not a big deal to us anymore, which is great. Not in the slightest. Yeah, it's not, which is great. It should it should never been a big deal to begin with. But uh, I like the way it's handled in this movie. I like the way he's forthright about it. One of my favorite scenes in the movie, actually, a runner-up for Make or Break, was the scene where he gets really, really upset making Plan Nine, and then he comes back out dressed as a female. Yep. And like that gives him the confidence to move forward and it makes the other guys upset. And that's a great, you know, fuck you moment. You know, you know what? Fuck you and your goddamn religious money. I'm going to make what I want to fucking make. I love that scene and I love the bravery he exhibits. And I think it endears us to him even more to have the bravery and courage to make his film, but to be true to himself. Yep. 
And I also like the moment, the kind of awkward moment where he does the kind of uh, the, 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 the strip tease, the kind of uh, burlesque thing. That's and, a fantastic moment in, yeah. the, in the, the rap party. Yeah. And I like how it turns off Sarah Jessica Parker, where she, her character starts to call them all freaks. And it's, it's a great moment because it reminds you of like Todd Browning's freaks and, and how these are a yes, bunch of great call. These are a bunch of people that are different by society standards, but they're human beings. They're not different. They're just different by a certain belief system. And I yeah. love that she kind of comes around on that a little bit, even though she's kind of dropped from the movie, kind of, uh, kind of strangely, if you think about it. Yeah, it is. It, I agree. It was a bit abrupt. And another problem I kind of had with it, like she just kind of after a certain point, she like it's almost like Arquette just kind of takes over her persona and just disappears even though she's much more supportive but you can tell she's different as well and i i like that this is a great movie for those of us that feel different so yeah uh that's the big show man i think uh next week we're going to be hopefully totter will be back uh the totter cutter and cutter. Uh, and uh we'll be doing the diabolic show that's the game plan anyway unless something else comes up of course this is all saying if we get together next weekend we never know what might happen but uh, if we are, I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, so those that can play along, because I've already watched the films, I wanted to get ahead while I, I had some free time the other day. I was like, I'm going to get ahead while I can. I saw that. I was like, nice. Yeah. Uh, you really don't have time in your life, most of us don't anyway, to sit down and watch a two-hour and 42-minute Russian art film. So no. I was like, I got a, I got an opportunity <laughs> yeah. here. I'm going to squeeze Stalker in. <laughs> yep, you know, and true, it, it, what's sad was I finally had that free time, and that was the last movie I wanted to watch. You know what I mean? Like I wanted, I have. Like, oh, I know. I got copies of stuff that I've bought that I haven't even watched yet. <laughs> oh, uh, I know. Like man. Uh, I got Kong Skull Island. I got all kinds of stuff sitting around, which is a fun one. And I haven't watched it yet, but I, that's the stuff I wanted to watch. But I was like, you know what? I got time. I got to fucking watch. So I was super interested in the other one we're going to talk about, which was snapshot it's on blu-ray a snapshot i think it's called one last minute on in, on uh, imdb but anyway look for that snapshot and stalker that's what we're talking about both films from 1979 both films start with s the uh, great year the great 19- year yeah i was gonna save that for the entrance of that show but the, yeah yes either way uh i went ahead and uh, squeezed that one in but they have so much stuff i'd rather have watched than the uh near three hour russian art film but uh, not not taking anything away from Stalker. Just you know, sometimes you're in the mood for, like you the other day watching uh, some trash. Man, sometimes that trash, that that Zeus the <laughs> crime killer, agree, that I was agree. something special, buddy. That, that's a great title. That's maybe one of the greatest titles I've ever seen <laughs> in the history of cinema. I have no idea what the fuck it means, and that's my favorite no. kind of title. It's like what the fuck is going on here? That's almost Dude. as great as what? What's that one we watched? Meet him no. and die. Yeah, that one, and what's the Mexican one? The rapist one, Infernal Rapist. The Infernal Rapist. <laughs> Which is, it's just the an Infernal it's, Rapist. It's just an inappropriate title altogether, right? Or we could go with Rape by the the Hong Kong Category Three film, Raped by an Angel. Yes. Part three of that series is called Rape by an Angel Three: Rapers Union. <laughs> so, so yeah, there's a, there's a special world out there to say the least. Hey. We all, we all, we all are allowed our fantasies, uh, yeah. regardless of how inappropriate they are. Well, oh, I'm gonna, not going to say we're all allowed. That that would be, that would be a very bold statement. That would rope in everything. But let's just say, within reason and legality, we're all allowed our fantasies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> please, please uh, don't take what Sammy says as a reason to do anything stupid. Please. No. Um, but yeah, that's what we'll be doing next week. Uh, yeah, that's all I got, man. Uh, thank you again uh, for doing the show. It's been nine years. It's been awesome. Brother, it's been amazing. There's uh, nine or more, and we'll see what happens. Absolutely, man. 
All right. Are you doing any uh, – people have asked me, actually, in the personal messages. If, and I think somebody's asked on the board anything if you're doing any uh, TIFF things. It's like, yeah, you said yeah. something. I'm going to do – I'm going to try to do like a loosey-goosey episode. I didn't take notes last night, so I'm going to try to just okay. – maybe some five or ten minutes about each film. I'm doing seven films, so there's – even if I do five to ten minutes of film, you're getting 35 minutes to an hour sure. of coverage. And some, um, of those, some of those we might not ever have a chance to see anyway, so go ahead. Yeah, some you might not get to. I'm going to see An- Anurag Kashyap of – Gangs of Wasipur's fame, fame's latest film tonight, The Brawler, which is the Western title. I'm going to sit with my wife. Um, Belgian film on Tuesday from the... It's got Matthias Schoenert and um, Adele Exerchopoulos of Blue is the Warmest Color in it. Oh, yes. It's called The Thief and the Jailbird. It's good to see, I, I good to see she's still working. I feel like she disappeared a little bit. Yeah, she did. She's a good actress. Yeah, she is. Really good. So, yeah, no, but there's going to be some TIFF coverage. Absolutely, man. Nice. All right. So you guys got that to look forward to. So until next time, uh, thank you guys that have been there since the beginning. Thank you guys that just showed up this week. Thank you guys all over. Uh, keep fighting the good fight, as Ed Wood would. Keep championing Ed Wood would. Uh, keep championing the uh, the underdog and uh, keep loving all those movies that uh, people tell you are garbage because yes. they're just as important as the prestige movies. What stirs your soul is what stirs your soul. That's right. Until then, adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com.